Okay, look. I know you're freaking out right now, and I'm, I'm, I'm sorry, but... It's gonna get a little worse before it gets better. Worse? Yeah. Kinda. You ready, dude? is over but we have to go back oh wait uh lasagna hold on let me just grab that uh but gotta go back down the hatch it's the lost rewatch podcast here on poster recaps hello everybody i'm josh wiggler just uh uh give me a quick second to mow down a plate of road lasagna uh mike if you want to just take over the podcast for a second i'm just gonna mute myself so what people don't know is that this is actually a tradition on down the hatch even before dave outwardly mentioned it josh downs a piece of lasagna before every single podcast (laughs) that we do in order to get some nice carbohydrates in his system pre-podcast yeah i got a carbo load before we sit down for our marathon four-hour podcast sessions because even though the podcasts have been closer to like two and a half two hours uh recently the recording sessions are still four hours we're just trimming down uh the fat yes unlike this episode we are far from extended (laughs) man of all the episodes to be extended (laughs) it's dave yeah, apparently, uh, I was reading this on Lostpedia, this is uh, not counting finales, which are obviously multi-part episodes, this is the third longest single episode of Lost. Wow, Dave. I think uh, Jeremy Bentham is a little longer, and I believe uh, Abiturno might be the longest at like 48 minutes or something, that, but yeah, this tracks. is uh, coming in at like 45 minutes. Wow, Dave, Dave <laughs> is the is the, is the <laughs> third longest non-finale premiere episode of Lost. Uh, we'll see how long the podcast goes. We've got much to discuss, including the fact that I hate Dave. Ugh. I'm not talking about the episode. Talking about the guy. I hate him. Yeah, the eponymous Dave. Mike, I hate Dave so much. I mean, that's the point, though. And that, and what I will say about this episode starting off, because spoiler alert, I'm not a huge fan of this episode, especially as a follow-up to Lockdown, which I think is a sublime episode of Lost. And one of them is the character of Dave, which I'll sort of cop what I said for Fire Plus Water in with this similar situation of like, I can appreciate the intention behind the character, but that does not mean I can enjoy it. And Dave, purposely so, is an immensely unenjoyable character from my perspective. Oh, deeply, deeply so, deeply so. And respect to Evan Handler, who plays that perfectly. Dear Evan Handler. You know, because I think that you're right, that I think that that's supposed to be the point, that you're supposed to, like, really hate this guy that's trying to lure Hurley off of a cliff. (laughs) Uh, both like existentially and literally, um, and, but they do such an effective job that like my skin crawls every time Dave is on screen. And though I have come to respect this episode in a way that I, I haven't respected it until the most recent rewatch that I did, and this same rewatch, it held up in that same regard, um, respect does not mean I gotta like it. Mm-hmm. I don't enjoy Dave. I don't enjoy watching this one, except for a few key scenes that I I unequivocally enjoy. But there's so much just about Dave that I just cannot take. I cannot abide. 
no shade to Hulu, uh, to FX on Hulu's Dave. Uh, Lil Dicky has nothing to do with Down the Hatch. As <laughs> oh my far god, as imagine if Lil, was Lil Dicky DJ drinks on me? If Lil Dicky was Dave for uh, for Hurley, like Hurley's Dave, imagine this episode uh, would be would be lit. Uh, right, crossover well, well, between DJ Dom and Little Dicky would be wild. Well, I would say that I think that, you know, if that's the case, you know, Evan Handler's Dave is more so definitely like the devil on the shoulder, right? The thing that's like, hey, you should do this, even though it's not good for you. I feel like the Little Dicky version of Dave on Lost would be more so like very passive aggressively poking at Hurley to do things, which might work via reverse psychology. But what do I know? I'm not a Libby or a Dr. Brooks. Yeah, well, is Libby a doctor either? Uh, these are the things that we are going to debate here on the podcast. Of course, we've got feedback. We will use that uh, to guide the conversation towards the end of the podcast. You can send that our way every week down the hatch at postshowrecaps.com. You can also always tweet at us. I'm at Ron Howard. Mike is at a Mike Bloom type. You may be tired of hearing us talking about <laughs> Lost because we've done we've done it a lot lately. It's a big big week for Josh and I getting onto a microphone for hours on end and talking about Lost and they span from like the super serious and sincere to quite possibly the most ridiculous thing either one of us have done in our podcast yeah, and careers thus far. Uh, I think the, the jury, I was going to say, is out on the success of uh, Survivor, the end of Extinction. Well, I would say the jury is uh, two pair, <laughs> four pairs of Quan hands and a Gujar Saeed. <laughs> I think the jury uh, has returned with the votes. And I think we all agree that that was messy. Uh, Just <laughs> <laughs> very messy, very weird. Very, very messy and i think one of the hardest to follow uh brant steals across the rhap and post show recaps universe uh but a really really fun night of streaming that live on twitch uh we posted that in the podcast feed on the morning of may 23rd 2020 the 10 year anniversary of the lost series finale also on that day mike and i uh we we watched the finale on my twitch stream Mm -hmm. that was really really fun to do uh keep an ear out on a possible way to 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 catch that again in in podcast form not on your down the hatch feed uh some news to come next week a little bit of a teaser there um mike and i all mike and i uh oh we're going to australia (laughs) australia i don't know i don't know why oi uh came out like oi mike and i also appeared on the storm uh the the great podcast uh, that is uh, that has a spoiler-free section and a spoiler-filled section. Uh, Joanna Robinson spoke with both of us, the great Joanna Robinson, uh, as well as a ton of incredible people. <laughs> yeah, um, I was going to say, so Joanna tweeted out, you know, this was available yeah. on the Storm Patreon, and it is completely free, even if you're not a patron. Uh, this episode to, is, yeah. Yeah, but to see, like, our names mentioned next to, like, uh, you know, Doc Jensen, even Jorge Garcia, and, like, you know, uh, uh, some uh, Dan Feinberg, and I'm like, how did I get here? Like, I feel like I'm a, I'm like Penny in the church, you know, of like, okay, I guess I'm sort of the plus one here to Josh that I'm just going to hang around with all these big names. And I sort of feel like the hanger on. But it was such a great, great conversation. You know, Josh and I talk a lot about our own respective histories of loss, but it's going to be a while before we get to the end proper. So if you want to hear our thoughts about like our specific thoughts around the end and maybe how our opinions have changed over the years, definitely check that out. Uh, it's really funny because it's it's a really great podcast and people have so many great takes on it. And there's so many different people speaking over the course of an hour. Uh, and I saw the hour long runtime. I was like, wow, Mike and I talked to Joanna for like a half hour. 
oh god what have we done and then like you do get to the segment where mike and i speak for like a solid like seven minute stretch it's like this is how down the hatch ends up being three hours wow they got us down to seven minutes i think (laughs) all the power to our editors (laughs) i I think i think uh so uh apologies to the storm editors and the storm listeners uh who uh who are not used to hearing mike and i just talk for way too long (laughs) Just stuffing every second of podcasting with with min, with 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 way too many words. Even just like trying to say that just now was very difficult. And oh, I adding, agree. It's adding an additional thirty seconds to the podcast. This is how it happens. <laughs> this is what happens. Um, I was also on um the hatch. Uh, not down the hatch, yeah, but this, the this hatch. Is like our, our like, I don't know, it's it's not like a twin brother podcast. It's sort of like a fraternal twin brother in that like it sort of looks alike and that resembles the same name. Well, we've got a very similar name, uh, but we uh, the hatch is the podcast by Sammy and Rosie, and they often uh, are interviewing um, people from behind the scenes, actors from the show. We've referenced them uh, in our show notes mm-hmm. from uh, the Ben Behind the Curtain. They're an invaluable resource and just really, really wonderful people. Uh, and I got to, to speak with them because uh, if you'd seen this on Twitter, over the past few weeks, they were doing this thing, Lost Madness, March Madness for Lost, uh, episodes going up against each other in ways that make more sense than the ways you and I have pitted <laughs> episodes against each other, Mike. Uh, and the way that they uh, seeded out the tournament was by using the Hollywood Reporter rankings that I had written in September. Um, so, like, Trisha Tanaka was the number two seed. Uh, so, no surprise that there was an upset against Trisha Tanaka. Trisha Tanaka did not necessarily go very far. Uh, so, um, it was really funny because the last few weeks, anytime anyone would have a complaint about how uh, the tournament was going, uh, the hatch uh, Twitter would just drag me. Like if you're ma- if you're mad about the results, blame Ron Howard. The seeding is his fault. Uh, so Sammy and Rosie had me on uh, over at the hatch. Uh, the link to that podcast into their feed is in the show notes. Um, last week, Mike was just one of the most enjoyable weeks of uh, like this revitalized period of Lost fandom mm-hmm. uh, for me, where like we were celebrating the end. Really nice to see. Like consensus is the end was great. You know, 10 years later, that episode still hits. Yeah, but we're we're seeing a lot of, like, uh, Johnny come lately is not to be confused with Johnny Hurley's friend. But it does seem, and we talked about this a bit on The Storm as well, that I think in the rearview mirror 10 years after the fact, and especially in lieu of maybe some recent shows that have also maybe biffed the landing, I think the end looks is is thought of looks a good. bit more fondly, especially those people that have gone back and actually rewatched not only the end, but the entire series as well, and maybe viewed it through a different lens than initially saw it. It's just a really fun time to be a Lost fan right now, and I, I hope everyone's Completely. feeling that. Uh, I know Mike and I are feeling that. We are, we feel as energized as ever to kill, you know, keep going what? on down the hatch. I know <laughs> we feel as energized as ever to kill. Please, nobody kill, clip that. Kill, kill. Uh, we feel as energized as ever to kill Dave. Uh, to keep going on the podcast, we do not want to kill the podcast. We want to kill it on the podcast. We want to make sure that the podcast is enjoyable for you. Um, but like my great unholy fear. Of like we would start a lost uh, rewatch podcast and get like two episodes in and then I'd get bored and stop. Uh, it has has not bared fruit. This is uh, remains uh, a, a very very central highlight in my in my modern existence. Agreed. Uh, and last week was just a really really fun reminder between uh, doing what we did on down the hatch, but also getting to cross over with the storm and cross over with the hatch. Really really great lost podcast out there. Uh, so if you don't somehow fill your cup up. Uh, with two and a half hours of Down the Hatch every week. Uh, just a shout out to The Storm and The Hatch, two other really incredible Lost podcasts that you should be listening to. And if so, um, you have a very big cup. I guess we got to talk about Dave. All right. Well, you know, 
All right. Uh, it is a huge cup. Wow. Uh, it's a big gulp. The big gulp of podcast cups. Uh, before we get into Dave, uh, let's take one last moment pre-show. Uh, let's thank our sponsors for this episode of the podcast. Those are our friends over at Progressive. Support for today's episode comes from Progressive Insurance. Fun fact. Progressive customers qualify for an average of six discounts when they sign up for Progressive Auto Insurance. Discounts for things like enrolling in automatic payments, insuring more than one car, going paperless, and, of course, being a safe driver. Plus, customers who bundle their auto with home or add renter's insurance save an average of 12% on their auto. There's so many ways to save when you switch. And once you're a customer with Progressive, you get unmatched claim service with 24-7 support online or by phone. It's no wonder why more than 20 million drivers trust Progressive and why they've recently climbed to the third largest auto insurer in the country. Get a quote online at Progressive.com in as little as five minutes and see how much you could be saving. Auto insurance from Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Home and renter's insurance not available in all states, provided and serviced by affiliated and third-party insurers. Discounts vary and are not available in all states and situations. Question. Mike, let's go forth into the jungle. Let's talk Dave. If you have uh, an imaginary home and an imaginary car that's been built up in your head the entire time, do you have to pay insurance for that? (laughs) <laughs> I don't know. Oh, man. Uh, are, is is all of lost inside the eye of a giant named McCumber? Uh, <laughs> these are the questions that we are forced to ask uh, based on what Dave is trying to do to our brains. Dave, directed by Jack Bender, written by Edward Kitsis and Adam Horowitz are the writers behind Dave. It airs April 5th, 2006, and of course, it centers... On Hugo Hurley Reyes and his imaginary friend, Dave. <laughs> Dave, not an uncommon name in the world of Lost. Indeed. Uh, I think what I realized this time around is that uh, her, not only is Hurley's dad named David, but also played by Cheech Marin, one of Cheech and Chong's famous bits, Josh, is none other than Dave's not here, man. Mm. And so that's sort of what I connected on this time. Is like, I should have known the entire time with the name Dave. Of course Dave's not here, man. He's not real. He's not even real. Um, or is he? I think that there are a lot of questions about Dave. Because this is such a strange episode. Uh, you know, to have, like, the imaginary friend episode of Lost... On a show where we know that ghosts are real, Mm -hmm. monsters are real, uh, sideways universes are real, um, and I'm using that refrain purposely because we're going to get into that by the end of this episode, very evocative of the end, Um, and I think that we should have a pre-Dave Dave chat. Uh, like, I think we need to talk about Dave before we talk about Dave, if that makes sense. No, I think... We need to, you and I, definitively make a decision about who Dave is. Yeah. Because I think that also fundamentally changes the way you view this episode. Uh, Whether you do or do not depends on what role is Dave playing, and specifically, what is the relationship between Dave and Hurley? Yeah. Uh, You know uh, that uh, famous question, where is Davey? (laughs) I think this is, who is Dave? Yeah, uh, it's just not flow nearly as well coming from Hazel Rickenbacker. But who is Dave? Uh, we want to know. We want to know the answer. And so, like, there have been a lot of theories about this over the year. the The cards up explanation is that Hurley has an imaginary friend 
who he sees uh, as a means of coping with stress and anxiety and guilt he feels over his body image and the PTSD involved in um, an accident that claimed several lives when a porch that was built for eight people collapsed under the weight of 23 people, including Hurley. Uh, And Hurley feels like that is on him, uh, that he is the reason why that porch collapsed, why that deck collapsed. Um, and uh, Dave is just the the manifestation of all of that, the id that Hurley has hidden behind. Um, uh, this is like an elaborate backstory for his uh, his eating issues. And I've said this before, like again, as as uh, the plus sized individual of the two people on this podcast, a lot of the issues that Hurley deals with here. I can relate. Did mm-hmm. I tell the Did I tell the story about uh, how we were uh, about to podcast about everybody hates Hugo? And before we got on the podcast, I was eating a secret cookie in my room that my wife didn't know about, and then she opened up the door to see me eating the secret cookie. And terrified, I dropped the secret cookie in the trash can, uh, like caught with my pants down. It was mortifying. <laughs> it was absolutely mortifying. So. Your boy knows what it's like to do the secret eats. I get it. I know it. I definitely understand it. And I definitely, definitely feel it. And I certainly feel the anxiety stuff as we've talked about a lot on this podcast. Um, Does it need a full episode of the imaginary friend manifestation of all of that stuff? Does it feel like a, a very nuanced take on that type of material? That is uh, where the jury gets to weigh in, and I know that we'll have some feedback on that. Yeah, the hands in the goo will weigh in. Uh, And I I think, you know, this is a Hurley episode, so surprise, surprise, it is going to be a bit of a meditation on mental health. And, you know, even more so than the eating issues, I think where this episode is honestly strongest is when it dotes on this idea of changing, uh, about changing your behaviors, specifically uh, as someone who, you know, only very recently sort of uh, realized his, not only realized his mental health issues, but the fact of like, okay, I can actually change these. I don't have to live with this forever. This is not like my normal. I can create a new normal. There is a lot of power, but a lot of vulnerability in making those choices. And what I really liked is how that was made in the character of Hurley. Like, even if you separate it from this idea of, you know, how he copes with his issues via eating, there is something nice in there uh, that you can nibble on a bit, even though there's not many calories in it, about what is it like to change who you are and the worries about becoming a new person. That being said, is it shrouded in the best possible way? Maybe not, but the messaging, I think, is really, really interesting. And now we're like three for three in Hurley episodes so far that really dote on uh, a character sort of uh vulnerabilities and inequalities he comes into the island with and him using the island for lack of a better term as sort of like a therapist to work through those issues and to see him become the man that he will become which is the new man in charge so let's let's talk about some of the possibilities surrounding dave imaginary friend that's the possibility that's the that's the show's answer um but what about the possibility that dave was real uh, that Dave was a real person. Because I think one of the interesting questions about Dave is, is Dave on the island the manifestation of the smoke monster? Is the right. smoke monster leading Hurley here? Is this the smoke monster versus Hurley? And I think it's a really fun way to view the episode. I think it makes it like, I think 
that is the way to view the episode in its most enjoyable context. Because especially knowing the ending. If we're, and you I, know, the butterfly meme, blah, 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 is this a smoke monster? It's so much fun to view Dave as the smoke monster. Yeah, especially if you're thinking about, like, the Man in Black's philosophy, right? Of, like, well, I can't directly kill the candidates, but if the candidates end up killing themselves, like, right. that's totally fine. So when you view this episode, especially its latter half, as, okay, this is the smoke monster, not only screwing with Hurley, but trying to make him believe that this is all a manifestation in his mind to the point where he's going to walk off a cliff, then it's a really interesting sort of cat and mouse interplay the weird thing is that would be going against what the creators of the show are telling us which is that no this is a manifestation so it's this weird thing josh where like the fan fiction going against the creator's word is by far the more delicious theory to go after than just oh he's an imaginary friend yeah well i think that uh you know the creators get to create the thing and then it becomes alive for the people who experience the thing and uh, your intention and its reception don't necessarily meet. Uh, and often they do, and sometimes they don't. And I think in the case of this, for me, watching Dave through the lens of the insufferable Dave is actually the very cunning smoke monster, Man in Black. Um, it just works so much better. But like, we have to like kind of like get to a feeling of like being good with how that's the smoke monster because we think that we have like a certain set of rules with the smoke monster so like the smoke monster seems to mostly be able to like manifest in the form of corpses that are on the island that tends to be the way of it um so would that mean that dave has to have been real uh it was dave like a real person and so like the way that that would have to work is you know that Dr. Brooks at Santa Rosa actually did Photoshop Dave. Oh, yeah, using that really perfect <laughs> 2004 yeah. Photoshop skills on a Polaroid. Uh, of course he did. I mean, I think there is this other option, and we've talked about this a bit with the, the horse in what Kate did, right? This idea that the monster might be able to just, like, scan a person's memories and be able to pull images from it now granted dave is a part of hurley's memories but in a weird way so maybe this is a bit of a deeper dig into his psychology than any other candidate that the man in black is working with you know the fact that dave's gonna like mention the numbers for instance i could imagine a situation where the man in black maybe he's intrigued by hurley especially knowing he's a candidate and like probes hurley's mind and sees some really crazy ass stuff and says okay this is a guy I can work with. Because we've seen, you know, uh, why, you know, we, we see Christian Shepard. Frank Duckett talks to Sawyer at one point through his head. I talked about the horse. Like, this is not the la- the first time, nor will it be the last, that figures from a person's past are going to show up in the middle of the jungle. This is just the first time that you question whether or not that thing was a real person to begin with. Right. Um, but Damon and Carlton have... Uh made it clear that their their feeling is that Dave is a figment of the imagination. They talked about this on an episode of the Lost podcast that they did on March 21st, 2008. Uh, it's the same podcast where they semi-confirmed that Kate's horse is a monster, uh, is is the monster. They, they stated that Dave was a figment of the imagination slash some kind of apparition. Um, so that's their official explanation. But... Uh, we actually have a really compelling source <laughs> on um, the, the possibility that Dave is indeed uh, a manifestation of the man in black. And that source is none other than your friend and mine, the great Rob Sesternino, who a decade ago interviewed on Rob Has a Podcast, 
Tara Bennett, the writer of The Lost Encyclopedia, and they had a conversation about um, the smoke monster and rules surrounding the smoke monster that extended into Dave territory. It begins with Abby Turno, the aforementioned Abby Turno, um, and the fact that Isabella, Richard Alpert's wife, who should not have been on the island, appears as an apparition a couple of times Mm -hmm. on the island in that episode. To the point where Hurley, I believe, speaks to her. Speaks speaks to her and you know basically Whoopi Goldberg's her uh, her stuff to to Richard Alpert. That's a ghost reference again. Not very clean today. Uh, I have showered though. Uh, so so this is this is a conversation that's like stemming from that and it gets into Dave and uh, let's just let's listen in. Let's listen on uh, what what Robin and Tara talked about uh, a decade ago. All right, so so what we're saying is that these if somebody dies and then they're <laughs> gets brought to the island or if somebody yeah. dies on the island then the smoke monster can show up looking like that person yeah correct yeah exactly now why was the smoke monster able to take the form of richard alpert's wife who was dead but did not come to the island I know, right? That's I wanted to know that too. <laughs> <laughs> okay, that's that's a really good one. Um, now I can say, you know, uh, some people have asked me too, like, well, what about Hurley's imaginary friend Dave? You know, um, right? That's an instance of because he was never corporeal; he was always in Hurley's mind. That I think that. Uh, that it's one of those things where he was able to kind of manifest himself because Hurley was going to see what he wanted to see anyway. Mm -hmm. And the smoke monster could kind of take advantage of that. Wow. The the drums will then bring us back out of flashback RHAP. Yeah. uh, Incredible flashback to to Rob's lost coverage from way back in the day uh, at the, at the Genesis of RHAP. But that's the author of the lost encyclopedia talking about Dave as a projection of the man in black. Um, So if you, if you want uh, some evidence in uh, you know, it's, it's not Damon and Carlton, uh, but if you want some evidence from an authoritative source, the author of the lost encyclopedia is very offhandedly talking about Dave as a man in black manifestation. Um, I, I don't feel like I need permission to view Dave as the man in black. I think I could just choose to look at him that way because I think the episode is more thematically strengthened that way. Like whether or not it's like the man in black can pull a manifestation from your head, a memory, an image from your head and embody it for a period of time. Um, Or Dave is secretly Libby's husband and she escaped the Santa Rosa when Dave escaped Santa Rosa and they ran off together and then Dave uh, won a lot of money, bought her a boat died because uh, Libby like clocked him in the back of the head because he was annoying and she buried him in the bottom of the boat and then gave the boat to Desmond as a gesture of goodwill but actually as a means of hiding the body and uh, Desmond takes the boat to the island and little does he know that he has uh, had a dead body in the, bo- the bowels of the ship the entire time and Dave's body is now on the island and now the man in black can connect oh that's Dave that's the guy that Hurley knew from the mental hospital that was photoshopped out of the picture by the dastardly Dr. Brooks uh, let me take him on and see if I can lead Hurley to jumping off a cliff i can live with that too uh so there are ways in which i can live with the logic that dave is the smoke monster i don't really care i just really don't care like i think like uh it's just it's just it's viewed better that way i think it's just it's it's a more exciting episode and whatever logical leaps you need to take 
in order to get to Dave as the smoke monster, take them because I really believe that it's a better episode when you view it that way. Completely. Otherwise, it's, you know, Hurley being convinced that he's crazy when we clearly know that this is not all in his head. And Libby has to be the one to come out, which I would say makes the latter half of the episode a little weaker. It's one of these things that I actually feel like, and a couple of people have actually said this as much when they were talking about the episode. I personally feel like this is one of these episodes that actually maybe gets a little bit worse on the rewatch if you don't view it through that lens. If you're just viewing it as, okay, this is Hurley's imaginary friend, when you already know the twist and see how things pay off, it's 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 not great to essentially watch like Hurley invalidate a fan theory for an entire half of an episode when we knew that wasn't true to begin with. All right, so let's get into Dave now that we've talked about Dave. Uh, so Dave begins with Hurley and Libby running on the beach and Libby crushing it and Hurley maybe not. Yeah, what is uh, it with these tailies and like wanting to have do exercise between her, between Anna Lucia doing like dead sprints? Are they just so used to being on the run from the others that like they just got <laughs> super buff? <laughs> Or they just, like, they can't stop running. Yeah. Uh, They know that they're always going to have to be in running condition, so they just got to stay in shape. Um, The question you asked, Mike, I feel it deeply, uh, and that is because uh, we are clear examples of people who just don't exercise regularly. (laughs) I try to. You know, I... I, Every day? Almost every day, yeah. Wow, Uh, Mike, look at you. I'm not someone... I'm not a cardio person, though. So, like, when it comes to running, I always stray away from that as part of my workout routine. So, like, I'm much more a Hurley than a Libby here. I'm never someone who acquired a runner's high, and while that does allow me to not be addicted to the sweet smell of success, it also means that I get no enjoyment out of running. So when Libby and Hurley are just running down the beach, uh, I, I definitely sympathize with Hurley here, who is, like, barreled over a rock, trying to have that ecstasy flow into him the way it does when he digs into some Dharma brand fish crackers. Do you want to know another secret for how best to enjoy Dave is to uh, time it so that when the episode begins, because it begins right away with Libby and Hurley running on the beach, you sync up uh, everybody with me drinks on me to play uh, as they're running on the beach, it makes that run a lot, lot sweeter. Yeah, if Hurley had that Walkman, I think it would have made <laughs> things a lot easier, right? Because you need, uh, like, music to run to. And that's yeah. the other thing as well. I feel like this episode is so oddly plotted out, especially that cliffhanger, Josh. It was, it was one of our cliffhangers in our in our The End uh, brand steel. We just found out Henry Gale is indeed not who he says he is. And then we go to Hurley and Libby running i i will Sprinting. say yeah Sprint. i will say off the top here uh i'll sort of ascribe to what we said about the whole tooth here as well i do wonder in retrospect if if not outright switching the a and b plots trying to balance out the scenes between those more if this might have raised the score of the episode overall um so hurley's gonna be like yeah i don't love running uh i probably need to to you know not be in this kind of condition in order to run as well as you're running and she's like, don't worry, like, people's metabolisms are different. And he says, this is not a matter of metabolism. This is a matter of, uh, I'm sick. I'm infected. Yeah. Well, uh, then, uh, the sickness. I, I, so Libby takes immediate concern. The question is, is it feelings for him? Is it because she's an AOJ and knows he's a candidate? Is it both? Yeah. Um, I don't know. Uh, yeah. I think that there's, just, there's, a, there's a lot going on with poor Hurley right now. Yeah. My, my personal look at this is that I think that... Uh, maybe Libby was sort of given instructions to, I don't know, was given a list of candidates. Hurley was one of them, and she sort of, like, fell for her mark in a way. That, like, she was tasked with 
making sure that Hurley and some of the other candidates remain as safe as possible. And as a result, she saw what a warm person she is and developed feelings for him. Yeah, you want my grand unifying theory on on Libby? My grand unifying theory on Libby is that uh, she she comes from the future. She is somebody who uh, is is alive in the future timeline. Um, Hurley, when he's the new man in charge, he goes and he finds Libby, and Libby uh, falls in love with Hurley the way that Libby falls in love with Hurley here because they are their soulmates, Mike. Mm-hmm. Uh, and she comes back to the island with him once he's the new man in charge, and she, like he, uh, has that Richard Albertian, uh, Jacobian agelessness. Uh, they live a very, very happy life together for hundreds of years. And then, um, uh, much like uh, the, the impetus of uh, a show that is much modeled after Lost in many ways, The Good Place, some people just decide, like, you know, I'm ready to move on. Mm-hmm. And uh, Hurley finally opens up to her and says, like, look, you know, uh, you died once upon a time. And she's like, yeah, that's because that's my destiny. I have to go back and I have to make sure that you're okay and I have to make sure all of this goes the way that you want it to. And so she goes back in time with or without Hurley's permission, uh, the time travel screws with her brain. She gets committed to Santa Rosa. She has to escape with Dave, who's real. She escapes with Dave, who's been rudely photoshopped out of the picture from Dr. Brooks as some sort of means of messing with his patient. Uh, And because uh, Dr. Brooks did that, he doesn't squeal on, uh, he doesn't like raise the alarms with Hurley to be like, you were involved in breaking this guy out of uh, a mental institution. But Libby escapes as well. She's like Sarah Connor with Dave as the T 800, and they get married, and she kills him on a boat and gives the boat to Desmond. And Desmond brings the boat to the island. Dave gets turned into the smoke monster, and Libby uh, continues her life to get onto the island on Oceanic 815 because she knows that's the plane she needs to be on to crash onto the island. When Libby kills Dave, does he give the thumbs up as he sinks into the ocean? Yeah, yeah, definitely. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> All right. That's my grand. That's my grand unifying uh, Libby uh, uh, theory. All right. Well, um, we can dissect that how piece feel, by how piece. How do you feel about it? Is is it, is it good? I mean, uh, I think, again, I'm going to go with the Occam's razor of it all and say that maybe time-traveling Dave marrying Libby is not exactly the simplest solution, but I do admire the creativity. I do like the uh, the symbology and the braveness on on Libby's part to be like, I'm walking into my death, but I know it's better for Hurley's character. I mean, this is the No, time- she's just ready. She's ready. She's ready. She's been alive for hundreds of years at that point. She's like, this is destiny. I got to do yeah, this. She's going to be like, what, what are a couple more months going to do? And some sort of massive time time travel incident occurs that sends her back to you know uh you know the the right time in history and it also sends a uh, dharma scientist uh future scientist Allison Janney all the way back thousands and thousands of years uh she had been a skeptic of all of these stories only to find out that it was real the whole time and she becomes the protector of the island and she raises Jacob and the man in black Mm, it all think, happens from the same future time travel incident. Do you think it's, this is this is the plot of Lost too, Mike? Do you think it should have been like flu powder that they should have like held hands or something uh-huh. so they wouldn't get lost yeah. in the time stream? Yeah, yeah, I do. All right, so this is what I want, uh, Brendan Fitzpatrick. You're listening, uh, Br- Brendan Fitzpatrick, Manning the 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 frozen donkey wheel on the post show recaps Twitter account. Uh, post a Twitter poll, um, and uh, I want the tweet to read. Uh, let me dictate the tweet to you right now. Um, time traveling Dave marrying Libby. That's the tweet. (laughs) 
And then the poll is yes or no. Uh, or legs or hot dogs, if you prefer. Yeah. Um, so let's, let's, let's see, and we'll report back next week to see if that is a good enough answer for the Libya call. <laughs> <The good> <laughs> <laughs> certainly long enough uh good enough is another is a different indicator i think it's great i think I, I, think, is, I think it's fun i think the thing is if any time i talk about libby this is the time right because we're gonna get this and we're gonna get uh, a bit of live together die alone but that's basically it for this character uh this is this from an episodic perspective is the most we're ever gonna find out about libby yeah uh mike Hang on to your butts because I'm gonna I'm gonna pull from the text to support time traveling Dave Mary. Oh, there are Libby. sources. Yeah. Well not really, but I'm gonna <laughs> okay. an, an interpretation of a thing. Um all right, so he's gonna say, like, yeah, I've been hoarding the food. I've got a, a jungle pantry, it's got pears. Uh Ray Mullen would be jealous. Uh peanut butter, crackers, potato chips, goldfish, marshmallow bags, you name it. Uh, and he says at first, like it was the all mango diet. I crashed here. I thought like this wouldn't be so bad. I'd lose, mm. you know, some, some weight. Um, but then all the food came here and I got rid of a lot of it, but I, I kept some for myself, uh, undoing the events of everybody hates Hugo, uh, which is a thing that I, I do not appreciate about this storyline. Yeah. Um, I would say this episode in general undoes a bit of character stuff. I mean, we're going to get into, Season one Sawyer fully make your return in this episode after the tree frog of it all. But yeah, this is this is one of those weird things that sort of does revert back. And look, I understand that uh, from a psychology perspective, like working to change yourself is not exactly a straight line. You know, there are dips and there and there are hills and there are valleys. Uh, but it does feel a bit weird. And Charlie, to have even Charlie make a mention of like, hey, Hurley did this thing last time and it was great. Right. To have Hurley suddenly be like, yeah, remember when I was like super charitable despite, you know, unnerving myself about it? Yeah, there's also this thing going on that sort of undoes all that character development there. It's 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 a fine result at the end of it, but like the means to get there is not yeah, particularly agree. salacious. I think a, a, good, well, a good example of uh, Lost having, um, you know, maybe some trouble filling out like the 22 plus episode order. Oh, that's... that's that's the thing as well, is that, again, going yeah. back to the idea of the plotting of it all, I do feel like we're this, you know, a regular or a modern show where you can plot out the number of episodes. Like, you follow up the end of, of Lockdown with, like, an episode dedicated to the Henry Gale stuff. But, to your point, because they had to fill 23, 24 episodes this season, we're going to get this and we're going to get SOS, which have, like, small little dotings on this giant bomb that just got dropped at the end of last episode. Yeah, but I mean, if it ex- if it continues to run the clock on some Henry Gale stuff, I'm not terribly mad about it. Um, so she's going to be like, Libby's going to be like, all right, well, look, if you want to change, just change. And so then they just like dump the food everywhere. And uh, as a big Emily Fox fan, uh, food studies uh, master Emily Fox, who has uh, who spent years studying food waste. Uh, this is triggering because they're just wasting the food everywhere. Yeah. Like the actual right thing to do here is be like, hey, so here's all this food, you know, like, or like if you need to save some face, like maybe you do like a survivor strategic move of like, oh, we found all this yeah. food in the jungle. Or they said, or like, hey, there was this corner in the hatch that had all this food. It must have been a, you know, Desmond might have had his own stash that he kept away. Yeah! And here's the thing. Like, I know that some people wrote in to be like, no, like this is a therapeutic movement moment for Hurley. Like he had to destroy it so that he wasn't tempted to go back into it. I feel like that's fine on paper if the thing you are addicted to is not something that, like, people need. You know, like... It's a society. This is a society. But, like, if I was addicted to money, I wouldn't, like, burn $10,000. I'd be like, okay, let me give away this money. You know, you can still 
get things out of harm's way without outright destroying something that someone else might be able to enjoy. Yeah, so I, I think just in the survival situation, like it's a it's a little galling to just like watch all of this fly. Obviously, it doesn't matter that much because there's the palate drop and there's tons of food here. Uh, there's risotto rice, risotto, uh, which is, uh, risotto, nice. Uh, I just I love that. I love that there's risotto rice here. I just imagine someone in the Swan Station spending all that time making island risotto. Oh, my God. And Dharma Tom Colicchio would hate yeah. <laughs> it. Hate every second of having to eat island risotto. It takes a while, you know, and you've got to be pushing the button every 108 minutes. you got to really be on your game. Yeah, cooking has to be tough, right? Especially, yeah. like, I know a watch pot never boils, but, like, if you have to take meticulous care, of, like, if you're making a souffle and that button is going off and the alarm's blaring, forget about it. Yeah. Uh, so everybody's like kind of like butting heads over who should project lead the food. Yeah, and this is another thing as well, is that like the the two heads of this argument are Sawyer and Charlie. And I know I have been constantly sort of harping on like how has Charlie suddenly come into his normal footing in the group? Because I can imagine like, Josh, should we dock the gawkers here? That they're not like okay, the two people that are in this grouping and taking the lead here are the guy hoarding all the guns and the guy who kidnapped a baby. Can we, like, not have them near the food at all? Yeah, I think everybody has sort of just, like, forgotten that stuff or they're they're in the process of moving on. It's been, like, a week, right? A week-ish? I, I, it might be, like, three days for all No, weekend. it's been longer than three days because Ben's been in the closet for a few days at this point. Uh, it's been so, in the closet. <laughs> I, th- I think like it's been it's been a minute. Um, but no one is really uh, organizing this. Libby's saying like, just take what you need, and uh, Sawyer makes fun of her about that. Like, let's sing Kumbaya and do trust falls afterwards. Yeah, why? Um, why did they also not default to be like, let's go get Jack or let's go get Kate? You know, like it's odd to me that Libby automatically defaults to anarchy of like yeah let everyone do their thing like no 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 libby you do not know these people this is the wild they're uh, they're people yeah. that can do these types of things and and you know uh, discern all the supplies for everybody yeah the answer is because uh she comes from the future and she knows that this is part of like the path of like her final days on earth mm. uh is that uh she uh she's she's aware that this this piece happened so she's just letting it happen the way that it's supposed to. Whatever happened, happened. Do you think she, if we're going along with your logic here, mm-hmm. do you think she was like constantly trying to find ways to die? No, no, no. I think she wanted to like enjoy every last minute that she had with Hurley. You know, I think she wanted to spend her time with Hurley uh, as best as she could. So she's like, yeah, you, you do whatever you want to with the food. We're clearly not going to go keep running. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Do whatever you got to do. And like, it's, it'll tear each other good. apart if you need to. It's fine. Yeah, Hurley and I are going to go for a nice sprint. Yeah. Uh, so Hurley sees Dave. And there he is, the man in his bathrobe. And Dave just like nods he gives, like, a his sup. head very deliberately at Hurley. Uh, and Hurley pursues him. And uh, it's a, it's always the shoes with these smoke monster people, right? Yeah, like seriously, like you're you're ima- not imaginary, but like you can form the shape of whatever you want to form the shape of something that has laces that keeps your uh, shoes on. <laughs> no, smoke monster likes uh, one one shoe on, one shoe off. <laughs> That's good I can textural relate. support. Yeah, yeah. It's a good textural contrast. The temperature contrast too. Um, on the beach, Hurley is like ruminating that he has seen Dave and he's got this uh, shoe in his hand. And Libby like comes up and is like, who are you looking for out there? It seemed like you were looking for somebody. 
Um, and she says, like, I'm proud of you for not freaking out because you're, you know, you, you destroy your stash. Uh, but the island uh, then provides food from the sky and you're not freaking out. And that's that's very impressive. And it's a it's a lead into the flashback uh, where mm. we're at Santa Rosa and we're seeing Hurley's time in the psych ward. And we are seeing um, Senator Kelly himself uh, of uh, of of X-Men uh, 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 the the first one, and then next two he was Mystique technically. Oh, uh, yes, yeah. So technically, I mean, maybe Mystique took his form here as well <laughs> because Doctor Brooks. I'm no expert on psychology. Obviously, Is Mystique the smoke monster. Well, maybe, maybe. She's but, a shapeshifter, too. Yeah, it could be a thing, but Mystique could only take the form of mutants that have died. Is that the thing? <laughs> could it yeah. be if you had a memory of a mutant who didn't exist, can Mystique take the form of that? Uh, but Brooks is basically like, he is, and I love the the cutting between like Hurley and Libby to Hurley and his therapist. It's basically his on-island therapist and his off-island therapist here. And we get a lot of exposition here. You know, he's been here for almost two months. Uh, Carmen put him in here after, quote-unquote, the accident. This seems to be entirely... Obviously, before the events of Numbers, uh, or even Everybody Hates Hugo, because uh, the lottery numbers have not played yet. They are still in Leonard's mouth as he plays Connect Four. But, like, Brooks has a very interesting approach to Hurley as uh, as a patient, particularly with his assignment to write down everything he liked about himself. But uh, Hurley has a guy named Dave dissuading him from doing it, saying it was a stupid idea, and... Brooks, at this point, is willing to play along with the Dave illusion completely. Yeah. Uh, or Dave's real, and he hates Dave, and he's actually a sick doctor, and he wants to uh, conv- he wants Hurley under his thumb for some nefarious <laughs> purpose. And so he's trying to convince Hurley that his only friend in the hospital isn't actually real. And um, Dr. Brooks is not uh, a great therapist, but is a prolific Photoshopper. Wait, wait, wait. What if Dave is also Dr. Brooks's Yo. imaginary friend? Yes. And he wants Dave to himself. <laughs> so he's going to convince Hurley that Dave's not real. What if Dr. Brooks is Hurley and Dave's mutual imaginary friend? Uh. What if it's Dr. Brooks who isn't real? I like that. So then, because like... I mean, nobody's interacting with him, right? Hurley and Dave are the only people who interact with him. So maybe it's the case where this whole photo thing was like a layer on top of a layer of Hurley being convinced that his closest friend in the institution was not real by a guy who is not real himself. Oh, my God. All right. So so Hurley and Brooks are talking, and Dr. Brooks is like, well, Dave is a very negative influence. Hurley's like, no, he's not. He's the most normal person here. Uh, and Dr. Brooks is like, oh, dot, 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 hmm, I don't know about that. Uh, and we cut to, to the basketball court in Santa Rosa, which we'll see a couple of times. And um, I guess we got to hear a Dave scene. It can't, we can't do Dave without hearing from Dave, so let's do it. Sound number one, Mike. Dude, dude, I'm open. Dude, dude. It's called dribbling, not drooling, dribbling. Well, shoot it then! Shoot it! Wait, uh, high percentage shot. Excellent choice. You want the gay man? Go for it. Something tells me no one will care. What's the matter with you? Nothing. Dude! Dude! Give up the rock! Fantastic. Give it to the guy who's not even in the game! 
Hey, it's taco night, dude. Let's blow this pop stand. What? Brooks said you're like negative. Well, duh. So what, you don't want to hang out with me anymore? No, I don't know. It's just... Is that crap getting inside your head, man? Do not let him. You got much more important things to think about. Like what? Like hard or soft shell, baby. Chicken or shrimp. Sour cream or hot sauce. Yeah, I guess I could eat. Yeah, I thought so. Noche de tacos, amigo. Oh, Mike, I hate him. I hate him so much. Well, I hate him so I, much. I think my issue is... I hate it. I hate it. I hate it. Honestly, I, I, no, <laughs> offense, on fire. no offense to Evan Handler, who, you know, great job on Sex in the City. I love him on Sex in the City. I, I, Harry is the man. I love him. I, I feel, love him. I ship Harry and Charlotte super big. I uh, feel like... Big fan. I feel like he was miscast here. Like, I don't it's know. It's just rough. It's very grating. Yeah, listen to Evan Handler say, dude. It's like the, his mouth cannot form the syllables. No, it's just, it's a very specific performance. And I do think it is specifically designed to be grating and irritating uh, in the casting of, of the character and the, the, the writing of the character to be somebody who you're rooting against as he is, like, clearly not in Hurley's best interests. Um, but there are like some of these weird ticks. Like I, I, <laughs> I don't love. I think it's Dogen in season six who's going to say I don't like the way English tastes on my tongue. Uh, I don't like the way dude tastes on yeah. Evan Handler's tongue. And I'd also wouldn't mind if he made some eye contact. Like he does this thing where he's like looking off camera, and it's very strange. And I just don't love yeah, well, it. Well, it's weird because he's using a lot of like surfer jargon right like the dude the duh uh, which maybe shows that maybe this has been in hurley's mind for some time right this is a character like you could even argue maybe hurley got his his uh notorious dude from this character of dave this is like a the dave side of him but again like that does not sound like something evan handler is used to saying and so it does sound weird coming from him this is just a weird scene because you know we we talked about this back in numbers but i was reminded here about like man the, the the look at mental institutions from the mid-aughts perspective is not too great from a modern-day perspective. Why are they all playing basketball in bathrobes? Yeah. Like, yeah. they don't all walk around in bathrobes the entire time. Mm-hmm. <laughs> are they going to the locker room and changing into bathrobes for athletic <laughs> use? Yeah. That's their gym clothes. They're gym bathrobes. Yeah, you don't have a gym bathrobe, says the guy who just claims to work out every uh, day. Yes, I haven't upgraded my workouts. Clearly, <laughs> if I want to get into the, the athletic level of a mental institution patient, I should invest in multiple bathrobes. Uh, and let me ask you a question, Mike. This was important to me. Um, obviously, you're going to get the shrimp taco, um, but are you going to get the shrimp taco with hot sauce or sour cream sauce? <laughs> This is Frank Duckett's uh, shrimp taco truck yeah. that's parked outside of Santa Rosa? I would say hot sauce, personally. I mean, it is noche de tacos, after all. Uh, insert the gif of the little girl shrugging. Why not both? I Listen, I feel like, honestly, Dave would have, like, I don't know why Dave is prompting Hurley with these choices. Like, he's going to go out there and be like, give, me one, give him one of everything. Yeah, you one know? of each. One of everything. Uh, man, we've referenced Frank Duckett twice on this podcast. Listen, his voice is reverberating through our heads, much like it did with Sawyer's. Like, Yo, it'll, Dave, it'll, Dave it'll, is shaping up to be a very weird platform for podcasting. It'll, it'll come back around. <laughs> it'll come back around. And that's what Hurley oh. realized after those tacos. <laughs> 
All right. Back, oh, gross. Back on the island and in the hatch, uh, Jack is examining Locke's leg. He thinks it's a hairline fracture. Which he is, like, have an insane. I guess maybe this is the island already healing his legs. That, like, a metal rod went into John Locke's leg and stood there for, like, a good portion of time last episode. And he got a hairline fracture from it. Also, fun little shout-out to the famous walkabout shot as we get, like, that rack focus on Locke wiggling his little toesy woesies yep. as, it, as it focuses back on him. Yep, and also to the wheelchair, right? Like, they talk about the wheelchair that's back at camp. No! Uh, that's what Locke immediately says upon Jack like, mentioning the not word the wheelchair. wheelchair. Not the wheelchair! He'll take the crutches. No wheelchair. Where do you uh, think... Do, I, I obviously am not an expert on uh, on flight uh, gear, flight supply. Are there typically crutches that are put there with somebody on crutches on 815 that they happen to have those there? Um, I don't know. Uh, you know, maybe. Maybe uh, they found them in the staff station. Uh, and, like, there's something that happened off screen that they were able to, like, get crutches from the staff. Well, I can't wait until the 815 production of A Christmas <laughs> Carol, because they've got tiny... Oh, too bad Walt's gone. He would have been a shoe-in uh, for Tiny Tim. He would have been great. No, he's too big. <laughs> he would have been not so tiny, yeah. Tim. Very large Tim. Uh, very, very <laughs> just, tall just Tim. Just Tim. <laughs> yeah, super tall Tim. Um, uh, so, Locke wants to know, like, we got to talk about Henry, because he could have escaped during the lockdown, but he came back to help me. Why did he do that? Uh, he, there must be a reason. Like he wants to believe in Henry, despite the fact that Henry has been doxxed mm -hmm. at this point. <laughs> uh, and Doc Jack is like that's you know it's not for any like you know goodness out of his heart type of reason. He came back because he thought his story was going to check out, which is absolutely the case. Yeah, you know Locke is looking for a reason to believe. And Jack is looking at the science. I mean, this is one of those moments where science wins out over faith, for sure. Absolutely. Uh, Especially as we're going to get into this next scene where this is, by far, Josh, in my opinion, the worst look we have seen from Benjamin Linus since his time on Lost. And that is lower than him getting shot through the shoulder with a harpoon. Um, all right. Well, let's talk that through. Let's listen to the scene because it's a really good scene. It's going to be uh, Henry, Saeed, Anna Lucia with eventually a little slice of Jack and Locke. He was dead already. Four months ago, I was part of the search party. Henry Gale was hanging out of the basket, neck broken. So he was already dead? Yes. Then you buried him and left the grave mark? Yes. You really should have checked his wallet before you did that. I assume Henry Gale did not have any paper on which to compose his thoughts, so he had to improvise. There wasn't much space for that. Jennifer. Well, you were right. Crossing the Pacific isn't easy. I owe you a beer. I'm hiking to one of the beaches to start a signal fire. But if you're reading this, I guess I didn't make it. I'm sorry. I love you, Jenny. Always have, always will. Yours, Henry. So tell me, how did Henry Gale write a note to his wife with a broken neck? It wasn't me. I didn't kill him. <laughs> you don't understand. How did you know his wife's name? Did you interrogate him? Please, just listen. I'm just, uh... How many of you are there? If I tell you about them, you have no idea what he'll do. Hmm. You mean their leader? 
The guy with the beard. Him? He's no one. Nothing. Where are your people? I can't. How many of you are there? You don't understand. Understand this. Hey. You have three seconds to answer my question. How many of you are there? One. You'll kill me. I'll kill you. Two. Saeed. You can't do this. I am not a bad person. What the hell's wrong with you? What's going on? I heard a gunshot. What happened? He's a liar. It's fine. Just get him out of here. Jack! 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 I've got it covered, John. Thank you. Shut up. So Saeed was going to shoot Ben because he's a liar? I mean, we almost saw Ben Linus die. We're not for Annalusia. Ben Linus would have, like, Saeed would have done a headshot, point blank range. (laughs) Ben Linus is dead. End of show. Man, Saeed has uh, true to true to character. Like it's almost like the like ever since Benjamin Linus was introduced into the Lost Canon, it's like all that Saeed ever wants to do is shoot Ben. Yeah, and he finally gets his way, but like that's some Final Destination shit. Well, I think you know he needs a hobby after he lost the love of his life. Like, yeah. might as well find to find a new guy. But yeah, I I will still stand by what I said before this. I think that. Granted, there is still some manipulation going on here. Ben's sticking to this narrative of, like, I'm not the no, guy in charge. But like, he's cornered. He's cornered. Yeah, but I think, I think he has a lot of egg on his face with the $20 bill. Like, I think he gets caught with his pants down right yeah, there. Yeah, well, how, I mean, how can, he, how can he account for that, you know, if he, if he doesn't know that the body was buried all the way down there, right? Like, if, he's, if he doesn't know, um, like, if he hasn't checked the wallet for that stuff, like, if he, if he, if he was already lazy enough for that. Um, he didn't clean up the crime scene. Uh, so all of that is still of a of a piece of like the badness of his cover story and like not counting on the fact that Saeed Jarrah was going to Saeed Jarrah this thing. Uh, so I, I, I think like given that he pivots as well as he possibly can for a man with a harpoon injury to the shoulder who has been beaten up in the face and maybe got attacked by a pantry and is now... <laughs> tied to a wall and has been caught with his pants down twice right like has been caught lying pretty badly twice um you know he does the best that he can here um but he was about to get you know who knows about egg on his face but he was about to get a bullet on his face yes if not for anna lucia i will also say since now we're counting down r.i.p anna lucia and libby not but two episodes from now josh uh so i'm paying close attention to her like, the good cop-bad cop relationship between Anna Lucia and Saeed is super interesting, considering that, like, you could argue they're two sides of the same coin. You know, they're both sort of people who do not-so-great things in line with what their jobs entail, uh, whether it be torturing somebody to get information or possibly mentally torturing someone to get mm-hmm. information out of them about illegal activities. And so it's such an interesting relationship between the two of them, where obviously they were on opposite sides after she killed Shannon, but he definitely saw something in her during collision. They had a couple moments in, you know, with, the, with one of them when Anna Lucia comes to Saeed looking for Jack. So this is a, a relationship that's going to probably, I think this might be one of the final times they're going to have a scene together. But I just thought that little partnership, especially Anna Lucia, 
stopping Saeed and also sort of like being the one to sort of take care of Henry, but also still slam the door in his face to indicate like, yeah, I'm a good cop, but I'm not that good cop. Yeah, I like this little bit of uh, of season two of Lost of of Saeed and, and Anna as good cop, bad cop, sort of both like bad cop, angrier cop. I don't know. Yeah. What, uh, bad cop, uh, worse cop, maybe. Yeah, I don't know and how it works. And speaking exactly. of other du- duos here, a nice little Jack Locke moment when Locke is just... <laughs> we got it, John. Locke's just like, like, what's going on? Like, yeah, with, with the great Terry O'Quinning, right? Of like, what's going on here? And then Jack's saying, I've got it covered on Locke slapping the bed in frustration. Of like, he's I so want to be there. I'm like, I've he's made your so FOMO annoying. right now. Yeah, he's just been told, too, that he's going to be on crutches for at least a couple of weeks. Uh, it's just not exactly how it's going to play out, thanks to electromagnetism magnetism um but uh you know he is uh he is gonna he's gonna be really frustrated about uh his lack of mobility for the rest of the season yeah um over on the beach oh uh, there's echo, echo using that saw mr echo has yet to return the saw <laughs> he is still making use of the saw as he is working on building a starbucks and i think like at this moment in time you're inclined to believe it's a starbucks because charlie says what are you making a starbucks and he doesn't say and no he doesn't say no. Uh, so it's like, he got it. <laughs> he figured it out. He guessed. How did he know? So the question here is, because this is the start of Echo's church, which is going to be like, this is an episode full of open-ended stuff. This is going to be an, another bit of an open-ended thing. Like I think it gets referenced in next episode. We're going to see it like more flesh out in The Cost of Living in Echo's final episode, but it's going to remain unfinished. Uh, yeah. Why do you think Echo refuses to tell Charlie what it is, considering what he knows about Charlie's religious history? Uh, maybe he doesn't want to get him too worked up, doesn't want to get him too excited. He's seen what's happened the last time he told Charlie something uh, with religious connotation. Mm. Uh, Charlie interpreted it and ran with it and a baby into the ocean. Mm. Uh, so maybe he just wants to like, you know, like slow drip Charlie back into the church scene. Yeah, maybe that could be possible. It could just be Echo being Echo. Of even though now he's like broken his vow of silence, he now is he's just very cagey yeah, in general. So cagey. I think I guess the question is larger: like, is this a Charlie thing or is this an Echo thing? And it might yeah. be some of both. Um, meanwhile, Hurley's like in the woods minding the slipper. He finds the the fish crackers. He finds the goldfish. Yeah, box. no Dharma brand fish crackers. Which you, I wonder if it was okay. Is this brand not allowed and lost, or are they sort of poking fun at like you know when you go inside like a grocery store and you don't get yeah. like Fruit Loops, you get like generic colored o's you know yeah so there's like literally a division of the dharma initiative that makes its own food true uh they make their own like store brand dharma brand generic fish cracker which is just goldfish yes though uh i guess you know they're just they're in the 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 realm of fish-shaped food right between the fish biscuits and now the fish crackers i don't know if they outsource (laughs) the fish biscuits but (laughs) yeah yeah, are these just smaller fish biscuits? And so he's just like pounding fish biscuits that are meant for like baby polar bears. Oh no, he's depleting all the baby polar bears of their uh, food. Oh yeah, the the baby polar bears in their roller skates. Uh, <laughs> yeah, with as, eating those mangoes. Yeah, so Hurley sees Dave. Uh, Dave's loving that Hurley is eating uh, goldfish. And Hurley says, you're not here. I don't believe in you. Uh, I'm not afraid anymore. <laughs> and then and Dave hurls a coconut at Hurley, proving his uh, his existence. Yeah, this would be like if the uh, scary snow shovel man hurled a rock at Kevin McAllister from outside the house. 
Yo, if if Dave can throw a coconut, you would think that this probably means uh, this is the smoke monster, right? Smoke monster can do some physical stuff. Yeah, and I assume that with the shoe as well, that like the smoke monster can sort of like divide himself in a certain way. It's or like it, the T one thousand, right? Yeah. When the T one thousand can like leave like a bit of foot behind, and then like or like a bit of like uh like metal blade that he's hanging into the back of a trunk behind and that breaks yeah. off and then he reabsorbs it into his foot. Yeah, either that or like Hurley's like dirtening himself, right? He's uh-huh. like purposely punching himself yes. in the stomach to expel the crumbled fish crackers from his mouth. Right. He's throwing coconuts at his own head. Uh which is tough to do. I don't know exactly. How I don't know. Does. If Abby Maria could do it. <laughs> you just toss it up in the air. Uh, so he runs off after Dave, and when he bursts out on the other side of the beach, it's Charlie and Echo who are working on the church, and he asks about the guy in the bathrobe. And that is when Charlie has a really funny life. No, but I saw a polar bear in rollerblades with a mango. And Echo's like, I didn't see that. <laughs> yeah. Er- er- Echo's not really one for, like, joking around, right? Mr. <laughs> Mr. Echo's like, wait, there was a polar bear on rollerblades with a mango? Yeah. Why did you not tell you me, You have Charlie? a lot to catch and me up on. And Charlie's like, it's, it was a joke. Echo's You're like, no longer welcome in this Starbucks. It's not, it's not funny. I would have loved to have seen that. You think that I'm so serious that I wouldn't enjoy a polar bear on rollerblades <laughs> with a mango? I'm a very funny man. I think it would have been great. Knock, knock. Uh, Who's there? I won't tell you. <laughs> I'm not going to tell you till later. <laughs> That's Mr. Echo's knock, knock A knock-o-knock-o. Knock-o. Yeah. Knock-knock. Who is there? I won't tell you until later. <laughs> there isn't even, like, the second step to the joke, No, No, exactly. Uh, Closes the door. No, no, thank you. I'll tell you later. Uh, flashback. Here he is, Leonard. Leonard's back and playing Connect 4. And Dave makes, uh, uh, again, just I hate the line read on it. Ugh, it's so grating, everything about it. What's he going to do? Call you at 24 uh, when he's telling uh, when he's telling Hurley to eat some of uh, Leonard's graham crackers instead of a, a piece of celery. Celery is a great snack, by the way. Yeah, I think so. And I think it's, it's especially like it's a good conduit to really put a bunch of stuff on it. I'm a little surprised that Hurley's eating dry celery. I guess it's sort of him like going cold turkey on the junk food, yes. which is not yes. a great thing. Like. I think the secret to a, a good diet is everything in moderation. I think the the moment you sort of just turn that switch off, that's when you really get those cravings back. Though, again, maybe that's why Dave is convincing him to sneak some graham crackers away from this guy who seems to be beating him at Connect Four. So maybe it's sort of like a tit for chat here. Yeah. Uh, here comes Dr. Brooks. Dr. Brooks is going to show up. He's like, hey, uh, here's your medicine. Uh, and I, I have in my notes, he's, uh, uh, Dr. Brooks is, he doesn't care about you, man. He's the one who's prescribing that crab. Uh, I misspelled crap as crab. Now I just like to think. I mean, if he, if he said crab, then Hurley would be gobbling it down. He wouldn't be holding it under his tongue. No, it's like anti-anxiety medicine. Oh yeah. Uh, No, this is, this is, uh, this is also, it's, it's clonazepam. Also, I think more, uh, more conventionally referred to as clonopin. I have a supply in my medicine cabinet. I'm sure you do as well, Josh. It is commonly used to treat anxiety i would maybe say not so much about like seeing things uh, but i know that those of us that do suffer from a lot of anxiety based issues a clonopin is something that you can always look to in those moments to sort of uh help bring your mind down from that proverbial edge of the cliff yeah i i have xanax which you know does very very similar deal um so uh at least i think so i'm not a, i'm not a psychiatrist so don't don't take my word for it but you're I no dr brooks but I have a psychiatrist who prescribes. And there also might be no Dr. Brooks, given our theory. That's my theory. He's the mutual imaginary friend. He's the shared imaginary friend <laughs> of Dave, 
Hurley and Libby. Uh, mm. I think Libby would have to be roped into this as well. Uh, Unless, otherwise it did work. Libby create Dr. Brooks and oh. then put it into the mind? Maybe that's her like mutant power, right? She, she sort of like Scarlet witched him. She created this Yo, illusion and yeah. put it into these two guys' heads. Well, if we're saying that Libby comes from the future and spent, you know, centuries with Hurley on the island uh, because, like, they met uh, for her, you know, uh, in her timeline, let's say that she was born in, like, 19, uh, like, 1990 or, like, 1985, Mm -hmm. and uh, she's, like, actually out there in the world in 2007 when Hurley gets uh, anointed as the leader of the island, and then Hurley goes out in the world to recruit Walt, and he also, uh, you know, starts a relationship with Libby, who is alive at that time and has not yet come to the island, where she's going to go on this massive trajectory to go back in time through the island and become the Libby that we know on Lost. Uh, so in that all of that time, in all of that time with Hurley as the new man in charge and Libby as the queen of the island, uh, as it were, yeah, maybe she does develop some kind of superpower where she can, like, give you imaginary friends. Mm-hmm. Maybe she gave Hurley Dave, and it's like she has to she has to get rid of Dave as well. Yeah, maybe it's this idea of, like, she built up too complex of a web, and so she really has to tear it down, especially if she wants to get Hurley out of there. You know, maybe she's realizing, like, oh, he's sucked too much into the narrative, so I need to break apart everything yeah. around him. Let me pull, slowly pull out pieces of this Jenga tower that I built up around Hurley's psyche and try not to break him too, too much. Yeah. Brooks is going to take the picture, uh, say cheese. Dave says queso, because of course he does. So now, again, if we're just saying that Brooks, you know, uh, maybe real, maybe not real, do you think that he purposely took this picture to, like, show to Hurley later on? Yeah. That's kind of a dick thing to do, isn't it? Yeah. That's that's part of my argument that uh, Dr. Brooks is just a bad guy and that Dave is real and Dr. Brooks is taking the picture so that he can say to Hurley, remember when I took this picture? He's not here. Dave's not in it. It's because I photoshopped him out. Dave is right. Justice for Dave. I can just imagine him hopping on his 2004 Mac and being like, oh, I can't <laughs> wait to photoshop out Dave and photoshop yeah. in the background to make it look completely real. Um, Hurley doesn't take his medicine at Dave's urging. The revolution has begun. Um, on the island, uh, we're gonna we're gonna get to um, the worst literal twist of the episode, which is uh, how Sawyer is trying to eat eat his Oreos and a more even more offensive uh, uh, food waste situation. I think. Yeah, is. he breaks the cookie and then just throws them. Better start over. <laughs> yeah, like what are you doing? Just like throwing the cookie away. That is still an edible Oreo, sir. Uh, but Sawyer's going to be twisting off the top of the Oreo as Hurley is going to come by. He's going to have a little talk with Sawyer, and then that talk. That worst literal twist of the episode is going to lead into the best fight scene in the history of Lost. Let's take a listen. You gotta twist it. If you get the frosting, pulling it'll only break your cookie. Well, that's what I get for not going to the expert in the first place. What can I do you for, Deep Dish? I was kind of looking for something. Get it, I'm done trading. I got enough food now to open a chain of mini marks. Hey, you think Saeed needs a job? Well, actually, I was sort of hoping you'd do me a favor. Remember when I helped you out with that tree frog? That you killed? Yeah, I remember. Well, I sort of need some medicine. 
What do you need? It's called clonazepam. Clonazepam what? What the hell's that? So you can calm down or for when you're seeing things that aren't supposed to be there. What stuff you see? I don't know. Maybe like a bald guy in a bathrobe. You mean like that guy there? Gotcha. And uh, just the, the 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 image of Hurley under the tent, dragging Sawyer back into the tent like he is the Sarlacc, yes. uh, bringing Lando down towards the pit is incredible. Yeah, and I think uh, they even talk about in the Lost on Location that apparently that was like a suggestion on the set from Josh Holloway of like, what would happen if there's a shot of me trying to crawl out and then Hurley drags me Great back instinct. under? It's 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 a, it's a funny thing because that's the thing like. And that's the reason why the Quans are gawkers here, but it's because, like, the fight at the outset is kind of funny, right? Like, Hurley doesn't even look like he's dangerously walloping on Sawyer, even though Sawyer's going to sport some, like, nice bruises and cuts afterwards. It it looks less menacing than, for example, like, Jin beating down Michael or Sawyer beating down Jin. Uh, Maybe it's just because of the person who's doing it, but it seemed more... But if left untreated, it really would have become, to to borrow a fight that we like to reference often, it would have been Ralphie wailing on Scott Farkas. Yeah, it would have really been a a Farkasing going on here, which is fine, because Sawyer is terrible in this scene in so many ways. Well, here's the thing. So he he destroys the cookie, and because he he didn't twist it off right, he just throws it away, which is a garbage move. And I think uh, one of the worst offenses Sawyer has ever committed on Lost. I think it is uh, worse than killing the tree frog, uh, is the way that Sawyer mistreats the Oreo and chooses to just abandon its corpse rather than devour it. Uh, that's frustrating to me as an Oreo uh, super fan. Mm. Um, the, the conversation between Sawyer and Hurley is actually, I think, like, Sawyer seems to me to be relatively concerned, like genuinely for Hurley. And he makes a joke. He says like that guy over there, gotcha. But that's the only, that's the only moment where he like kind of crosses a line. And I, I think like my hot take is actually Sawyer isn't being a huge dick here. It's just like bad timing to be regular Sawyer. But like, Uh, but yeah, that's the thing though, is that he should have read the room and realize not to be regular. Sorry, clearly Hurley is clearly unnerved. Like you don't f- screw with the guy who's saying he's seeing things by trying to say like 
you know, you wouldn't be like, oh, I'm really feeling chilly right now, and then be like, oh my god, well, uh, oh, the AC's on, like, oh, you're not Sawyer's wrong with you. way. That's not Sawyer's way. And if if Sawyer's like worst offense here is that he's going to pull a aha made you look. Uh, but still give him like still be like all right let me go look through the thing and i'll see what i can hook you up with it feels like this was about to be a moment like the flight manifest to me but hurley is rightfully unnerved and hurley is rightly in a bad spot and sick of feeling like a fool and probably like he's very upset about like um you know the body image no, stuff he's, right he's, now. he's at the end of his rope right now like he, yeah he and, like, sawyer's time. a sawyer's a very easy definite physical punching bag who has fat shamed him a lot in the past well so uh, and that's the thing as well is it's a cumulative judgment well I the, think. the thing to me is that i mean hurley makes reference to the tree frog in this scene as much as this scene has like quote unquote action behind it it does feel a little repetitive on the heels of that scene from one of them but essentially we got like a similar thing right where hurley dresses down sawyer being like you call me all these things like please stop and then we four episodes later sawyer does it again and now hurley beats him up about it and granted those were different writers for that episode so i guess they want to go back to that beat pun unintended but it felt weird they were that they were reapproaching that subject again yeah um but it's a great it's a great scene uh i really like that scene a lot i really love hurley dragging him under the under the tent i think it's a, it's a good tent. moment for hurley to, much like it did during one of them because it's like hurley standing up for himself in yes. a way like again I, I feel like uh hurley's supposed to be seen as good fun time hurley he's the comic relief of the show up to this point that to have him like beat the crap out of sawyer was was a new moment from him uh even though it maybe does not show him in the best light because it's gonna have a bunch of gawkers look at him like Oh wow! Even as funny as that was, Hurley was uh, really going aggro on Sawyer there. Yeah, uh, there's a little bit of fallout from it where Kate's with Sawyer. He's like, "He just attacked you." Uh, it looks like you got your ass kicked, Sawyer. There's like good banter here where Sawyer's like, "Don't you have an adventure to go on?" I think Timmy fell down a well that yeah, way. But like Sawyer's like, "I didn't do anything." Like, oh, it's not like I, you know, poked and prodded a mentally unstable guy to the point of violence. No, that's not me at all. Not old Sawyer. He doesn't really know. I don't know. Like, I, I think Sawyer is guilty of a lot. Uh, and, like, I, 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 I think I'm willing to give him a little bit of a pass mm. here. Agree to, agree to, I, agree to disagree. I think Sawyer, uh, for someone whose job it is to read personalities and body language, made a big misstep here. But Hurley's never done anything like this. So he didn't know that he was going to be the straw that breaks the camel's back. He was just being Sawyer. I think that this is like a the, one of the less offensive Sawyer moments. It's just very poorly timed. Um, agree to disagree. Uh, all right, so uh, we're going to see Hurley with with Libby, uh, and Libby's like, "What was all that?" And Hurley doesn't want to talk about it. He's leaving. Uh, he's going to take this humongous jug of peanut uh, butter. Do you think Claire? If she found out about this, like she'd be pretty pissed off. Right? Furious, furious. So he's going to take this huge jug of peanut butter where he's going. He's going to. They might not need roads where he's going, but they will need protein. He's going back to the caves, and then he explains who he is about to become. And I pulled this quote because I just feel like we need it on the podcast. He's going to live alone, and be one of those guys. You know, the crazy guys with a big beard and no clothes who's naked and throws duty at people. Mike, who are those people? I think that's who Hurley thinks Danielle Rousseau is. Yeah. 
that that she's a, that Danielle is this crazy guy with a big beard who has no clothes and is naked and throws duty at people. I mean, I think certain things apply to that, right? Like now you wonder why he must have been really desperate if he gave her that hug back in numbers. Because like if he assumes what we think he assumes of her, he probably thinks there's a little bit of stink there. Who is he talking about when he says, I'm going to be one of those guys, you know, those crazy guys with the big beards and no clothes who are naked and throw duty at people? Is this a pop culture reference that I'm just not picking up on? Is, is, that, is that the thing? Well, I, we also need to think about the fact that Hurley was institutionalized. You mm. know, he was with people that might not be completely all there there's got to be at least a pretty good chance that either he ran into someone like that or he is piecing together several components like the best of the Santa Rosa medical facility of people doing those types of things. Yeah, I think it's really disappointing uh, that uh, Hurley doesn't get to go off to the caves and spend a few episodes there so we don't get a, a future season two flashback episode called Howdy Doody. <laughs> Uh, well, I, I think maybe the second part of the new man in charge was Hurley being like, I'm going to go off on my own for a little bit because there's something I've always wanted to do. And he does yeah, he spend, spends a couple decades alone in the caves. He wanted to become uh, the like he promised himself he'd become a duty thrower and he never got that opportunity. Until he now. wanted to be one of those guys, you know, those crazy guys with the big beards and no clothes who are naked and throw duty at people. I got to know right in down the hatch at postshowrecaps.com with your theories on who those people are, because if it's if it's like a reference, I missed it. I don't get it. I don't think it is. I think it's maybe, or maybe Hurley's watching some weird ass stuff on the Discovery Channel, you know? Yeah, it's possible. Um, all right, so Hurley's going to go off on his own. He's got like this overstuffed backpack, so his backpack rips open, the peanut butter jug falls out, and it breaks on a rock, and that is not something that would happen. Yeah, it's a very weird thing where like, he looked on the ground and all this peanut it's butter like strewn this, about. It's like this plastic jug of peanut butter. Uh, and there's just zero way that it would like get punctured and like skewered and ripped in half and smashed all over the rocks the way that it falls. Well, and out and of also his to the point of like like that. like that peanut butter would have to be way thinner because peanut butter is a very thick substance. Or like if you turn a peanut butter jar upside down, if anything, like not maybe the oil, but nothing's gonna drip out of there. What this is, yeah, but are we not? Are we not fairly regarding the journey of that peanut butter bike? Because if you think about it, that peanut butter has been like baking hot in the sun mm-hmm. on an island and not just any island, a time traveling electromagnetic island that this peanut butter had to be parachuted into. Mm-hmm. Uh, it had to like be like ripped across space and time to land on the island. This is a peanut butter that has seen some shit. So this is like extra smooth peanut butter. Yeah, like it like smoothed out by uh, the unique properties of uh, the island, both its atmospheric uh, time-traveling energy and just like the electromagnetism that's coursing through the island's veins. Like that's probably going to give you a thinner peanut butter than typical. So then you do have the ability to like, it's, it's more like ketchup then. In terms of texture. Because <laughs> oh. that's what it was. Like, it seems like it's, it almost seemed like if you broke a ketchup bottle, right? And like the liquid would go uh-huh. splattering everywhere. That's what happens to this peanut butter jar where it yes. happens to fall all over this rock and this leaf. I will say, it actually doesn't look too bad. Like, Hurley eating peanut butter off a leaf. We have seen at least a handful of Survivor contestants do that over the course, and then some. For sure. Hurley's definitely getting off the edge of extinction. Um, I will say, watching him just like uh, scoop up like leaffuls of sloppy peanut butter 
after uh, his uh, his suggestion for his own destiny that he is currently on course for. It's a bad pair of images. Uh, well, got to start making me. that duty. Uh, no, I'll, I'll leave it there. Speaking of, here's Dave, and he says, sorry, dude, I'm here. Uh, <laughs> Did they maybe so, they ADR'd his dudes in there because he couldn't get Did they a dude R? Yeah, they did. Uh, so, hey, dude, I'm here. Uh, we get the flashback. Hurley's been working on his list of things that he likes about himself, including I like chicken. And, I'm getting uh, a Grandpa Tito reference in here, too. A little bit of a shout-out to Grandpa Tito before Grandpa Tito died. Uh, he, I like chicken isn't about you. I like that I like chicken. <laughs> I like that about him, too. Yeah, I, listen, I like that I like chicken as well. Yeah, I love that I like yeah, chicken. Yeah, when you're, at the, when you're really at rock bottom, just think, like, well, I do like that I like chicken. Yeah, I like that I like chicken. It's a good mantra. Uh, in these, in yeah, these, I think we need a motivational poster times. that says, I like that I like chicken. It's like the hang in there kitten. I like that. Yeah, I it's like a chicken, chicken hanging on a wire by its beak. I like that you like me is what it says. Uh, this is when we find out uh, why Hurley is here, that he had the, the PTSD from uh, the deck that collapsed. It was a deck meant for eight, uh, but was holding 23. And then Hurley came out. And so Hurley puts that on his own shoulders. And Dr. Brooks, to his credit, is trying to be like, look, that's that was going to happen. Yeah. No matter what. Um, and this is really great work from Jorge Garcia. Like he had, he, this is a Hurley episode, so he gets to sort of run the gamut. But I feel like this scene in particular is, is a really good showcase of, you know, especially from Hurley's perspective, Brooks had said up to this point, like he hadn't really given any information to Brooks. But it seems like as much as Dave is pushing out against Brooks as maybe a fellow imaginary friend, Hurley has done the assignment and he seems to be opening up about the accident, which is great for us because now we know more about this accident. Yeah, now we know a little bit more. Um, and this is where we get the reveal. Listen, Dave's not your friend. Really pulling, not, pulling off that Band-Aid, Brooks. Dave's not even real. He's in your mind. And I think that uh, when they took the photo, uh, that's got to be the moment where, you, if you've seen Fight Club, right? Yep. Or you've seen The Sixth Sense, you're like, okay, so Dave's not real. So this isn't like a real uh, huge slipper that drops um but you know that is like the turn of the episode and uh the flashback is going to continue and dave is going to wake up hurley and say like i'm not a hallucination uh he's going to smack hurley to prove it like there's a lot of physical violence to to prove that he is real and this is when dave says like you could go to kinko's you could photoshop You can just you can erase Kinkos and Photoshop do not belong in the same sentence. By the way, you approach someone at Kinkos and ask them to Photoshop something, they're going to stare at you and be like, "Okay, sir, sure." Or you go to a FedEx Kinkos and you place yourself in front of one of the computer stations, and one of those computer stations happens to have Photoshop on it. So you go to Kinkos and use Photoshop. You just got to do it yourself, right? Like this, it's two thoughts. It's not an A and B. It's an A then B. Yes, exactly. Uh, he's like, come on, you don't believe that they actually blew up the Death Star, do you? Like, what does that have to do with absolutely anything? It's Hurley. It's a, it's a Star Wars reference. Like, that's how I you guess. know he's, he's not real, right? Because he's making, that's, uh, saying dude and making uh, Star Wars references. Might I ask here while we're sort of stopping now, because this is when we sort of segue into Dave trying to convince Hurley that this all isn't real. Spoiler alert for another prestige uh, show that's popular to talk about here on Post Show Recaps. Josh, in a post-Mr. Robot world... Okay, be very careful here. Yes. I don't want to ruin anything for anybody, so if you haven't watched Mr. Robot yet, maybe skip ahead 30 seconds, 
Sounds like Mike's going to talk about some Mr. Robot stuff. I'm very precious about not spoiling people on Mr. Robot. Well, I would Robot. say more than 30 seconds, because I would love to get your thoughts, Josh, especially on this, viewing this episode from that lens, because, again, spoiler alert for Mr. Robot, spoiler alert for Mr. Robot, alert, alert, please skip ahead many, many minutes if you don't want to hear talk about Mr. Robot. I mean, there are numerous twists in that show, but one of them focuses around the, one of these characters manifesting part of their mental illness in the form of another character that guides them in a certain perspective. Now, obviously, I don't want to necessarily have you compare that to this. That's comparing, you know, apples to mangoes to leftover lasagna. But did do you think that affected your view of this episode at all, having viewed that series, which focuses so much on that twist as a, as a part of its central psychology? No, uh, I I didn't even think about Mr. Robot in connection to this until you until you brought it up. Um I think, you know, Mr. Robot does the same thing that Dave as an episode is trying to do here, but makes it um, much more nuanced and makes it so much more central to the core of the series. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, like you can imagine Lost without Dave. <laughs> you cannot imagine Mr. Robot without that equivalent moment. Um, that is the show. Um in so many ways, in in ways that like it's a eureka in the moment, and then the ways in which it is uh, subsequently uh, an, an additional eureka point, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so uh, I guess that they're similar in the sense that they're like uh, they're you know on the same oil field, uh, but Mister Robot is Daniel Plainview. You know, like Mr. Robot is like it's, drink, it's drinking boy. lost milkshake. <laughs> it's drinking it up for sure. <laughs> in this regard, for sure. Um, all right, so they're gonna. So Dave's like, let's get out of here. Uh, we're gonna escape. Are you in or are you out? And Hurley's gonna go with him. And there's a couple of pit stops along the way. So as soon as they break out of the room, they're they're waltzing down the hall. And Dave is the one with the sense of urgency at first, but then he says this. Yo, check it out. Marcus didn't finish his lasagna. That is a waste, man. One for the road. No, that's coming in two weeks, uh, No, Dave. that's two for the road. This is one for the road was the alternate title for, for Dave. Um, I, my, 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 uh, the, the college friends that I talk about a lot who I watched Lost with on the first run, we said this all the time afterwards. Uh, except we, we, like, we added a dude at the end. We would often just like look at each other when we were like in the dining room or we would go out for a restaurant, go to a restaurant. We would order like some leftovers or takeout or something. We'd always go, one for the road, dude? Uh, <laughs> so, so that has, that has Oh, I like us. this. That sounds like Seuss from Gravity Falls. <laughs> yeah, so it, is, it has followed us deep into our lives. So I had to pay tribute to, to that uh, by plucking this sound. But also like... Do you want to take this lasagna on the road? Do you want, like, it's not like also, a yeah, sandwich. Yeah, but it's also, like, it's not just lasagna that's, like, you know, it's that's uh, extra over at the commissary. Someone did not... That's Marcus's yeah, unfinished someone lasagna. Someone did not finish this lasagna. Why don't you scrape this off the plate, you dirty, dirty man? And I like in certain contexts, sure, but like in this one, no. Uh, especially as you're on the, you're trying to break out of Santa Rosa. Yeah, that lasagna uh, could have very easily got them caught with sticky fingers or saucy fingers, as it were. Saucy fingers, yeah, fingerprints all over the place. Uh, but they they like they wait out a security guard. They go to a window. 
Hurley took uh, Brooks's keys earlier, apparently. Um, yeah, that, that was an interesting thing as well, which I guess also shows, like, I mean, going back into the Mr. Robot, spoiler alert, spoiler alert, Mr. Robot, skip ahead about a minute or so. One of the uh, trademarks of that series is that Elliot and the Mr. Robot characters, especially in those first few seasons, would, like, switch, right? Where, like, Mr. Robot would take over and Elliot wouldn't remember it. I thought maybe for a second that could have been a situation here where, m- since we didn't see that, maybe Dave, like, took over in that instance for Hurley and then took the keys and was reminding Hurley, since it's clear he, like, he had this, Jorge Garcia has this look on his face as if he didn't remember that he took the keys. Yeah, I think that's the implication. That day, that that was a Dave thing, not a yeah. Thing. I think I think I think like if you're if you're reading this as the imaginary friend stuff, um, then I I think that that is uh yeah like they're you know much of the way that like Dave's an agitator and Hurley isn't really if he's like a projection of his id. I think that that is that is what they're going for here. Mm-hmm. But he does have the keys, unless it's like a wild stallions thing. Speaking of time travel, we're like, <laughs> dude, if we leave the keys next to the yeah. window, then we'll go back in time and find it. Yeah, that's right. Uh, so he has the keys. He opens the window, and uh, and Dave says, "Oh, you can taste. Can you taste that? That is freedom, baby." And then he says an additional thing about freedom. You know what tastes even better than freedom? Cheeseburgers. I just, I just hate Dave. These are so the worst much. line readings Dave. I've heard in quite no, some time. No, I just, I just, I just don't like this character. I really, I really, I. I really don't like Dave Cheeseburger. You know what? Free- it's that's just a, like that's haunting. Really, I feel like there's a Denny's ad that has similar copy. Do you know what freedom tastes like? Cheeseburgers. I know. It's like uh, I really don't like that. I'm supposed to have burgers on Friday. It's Friday as we're posting this. I'm supposed to have burgers tonight. No, why don't you have uh, chili fries instead? That's the other thing he offered <laughs> up. Ooh, I love chili dogs. Oh, that's Sonic. Sorry. Uh, hey, man, so, that's no good. <laughs> that's no good. Uh, so Dave uh, is gonna is gonna uh, start the process of leaving. And this one, Hurley is like, uh, "No way, man! You just want me to run away and eat the cheeseburgers. You don't want me to get better. You want me to eat myself to death." And Dave is gonna tell Hurley, like, "If you don't come with me now, you'll never get out of here." But Hurley decides to stay in Santa Rosa. Um, and on the island, Dave is going to go ahead and try to convince Hurley that he is living inside of the ice blue eye of the giant McCumber, uh, that none of this is real, that the island is not real, that Hurley is still stuck in Santa Rosa, uh, and it's all in your head. It's all in your mind, man. You're just like you're in your own little rubber room. And this is all happening. Oh, those numbers that you won the lottery? Yeah, with? like, do you think it's a coincidence that the numbers are on the hatch and that they're the ones you enter in the computer? Yeah. Uh, this is fun if you're reading it as the smoke monster doing, like, the kind of stuff that you see him do when you see the man in black and when you yep. know that certain apparitions are the man in black. This is exactly his MO. Yes. This is the exact type of shit that he does. Exactly. That's the thing is that... It's it's a fun thing in retrospect. It's a fun foreshadowing for the end, especially because Dave is bringing up all these things of like Hurley's connection to the island, right? From this perspective, it's, oh, the island is your creation. It's going to be fun when we find out that the island is going to become his later on, so that does end up happening. But yeah, otherwise, if you're looking at it from the Darlton way, it's more so the show 
speaking meta textually to a theory that had been banding about at the time and swiftly saying, no, it was not in Hurley's head. Because I do believe at the time that Santa Rosa was revealed back in numbers, there was sort of the St. Elsewhere theory going yeah. around, right? That this was all in Hurley's head. Uh, and so they were they sort of used this episode to promptly say, no, that's not it. And so when you look at it in retrospect, knowing that that's not the case, it, it's, it doesn't really hold up unless you go in with that theorizing like we talked about. Yeah, like I think like we have seen uh, we've seen the man in black and Christian Shepherd try to lead Jack off a cliff. Uh, and I think that it's a it's a similar deal here. Uh, like if I can if I can push you, uh, let's do it. But also the man in black probably knowing like, yeah, but I know it's not going to work because you come back here. You're here in the 1970s, dude. Uh, so like whatever, like if I'm ever going to take you down, I haven't seen that shit yet. Yeah. Think um, of all the leftover lasagna you're going to eat at the Garmin. <laughs> uh, but he tries to convince Hurley and it's working. Uh, Hurley, the, the sweet boy is, is buying into it. Yeah. Uh, and also very fun, uh, in lieu of us recently watching the end that Dave specifically used the term wake up when it came yes. to jumping off the cliff. Yes, I think that there are a few ways in which this plays actually rather nicely with the end. Uh, and so it's the man in black taking the guy who is going to be the eventual Jacob uh, to the edge of a cliff and telling him to jump off so that you can wake up. And waking up is the big hallmark of the end, right? Of the mm-hmm. sideways reality and everything like that. So that language is certainly very, very evocative. And Dave being uh, the smoke monster, obviously, uh, flying off the cliff is just like uh, an exciting day in an otherwise pretty mundane existence. Uh, so he doesn't mind a mundane existence. Uh, and <laughs> yeah, yeah, and was, is the mundane existence hopping from chick to chick, like he says? Yeah, apparently. So come find me. I'm sure I miss you in this other life. Uh, I'll see you in another life, borrowing Desmond's phrase. And that's also a clear sign to me that it's the smoke monster, right? Like yeah. when you're borrowing phrases from other characters, yes, I know we have recurring phrases like the are you sure and the bad and the good people throughout Lost, but that feels way too coincidental for it to not be the smoke monster. Just sort of Man aping. in Black is trying to get Hurley to jump off a cliff and cross a candidate off the list. Yep. I, I think that's, I think it's clear as day to me, which again makes it staggering as to why the creators didn't say like sure, but again, that's that's sort of their prerogative. But yeah, yeah, of course. But I mean, yeah, this is a a dig in from Dave as well. Like he really is antagonizing him, maybe even more so than the Dave we saw in the flashbacks, using Hurley's lack of weight loss and his relationship with Libby to specifically say like, no wonder you look the same. No wonder this woman who would be previously unattainable is into you. This is this is entirely not real. And I mean, you see the heartbreak on Jorge Garcia's face and. To the point where you're right, it does drive him to nearly kill himself. Yeah. Uh, so Dave jumps, Hurley does not. Uh, meanwhile, at the hatch, John Locke wants five minutes with Henry Gale. Anna Lucia, who's playing uh, Jail Guard, says, I don't think that's on the program for today. I love Anna in this episode. I think uh, she's great. But I do love Locke's response. With all due respect, Anna Lucia, I don't care what you think. <laughs> yeah, but then he quickly realizes that like she's got the keys to the kingdom right yeah. now. Yeah, uh, so just, he has to try a different tack. I just think it's a fun little response to like the attitude towards the Tailies, <laughs> yeah, especially sure, Anna sure, Lucia. Sure. Like this, sure. like Anna Lucia said a few episodes ago, like people don't like me, and this is sort of like supporting that evidence, right? Like yeah. I don't care what you think, Anna Lucia. Uh, but she's going to give him the five minutes that he's earned, and we are going to embark on a big long talk between Henry and Locke. Let's listen in. What's your name? Your real name. Why don't you just keep calling me Henry? 
We've gotten used to it. Did you get caught on purpose? You and your people have been here for God knows how long, and you got caught in a net. God doesn't know. Excuse me? God doesn't know how long we've been here, John. He can't see this island any better than the rest of the world can. May I ask you a question? What possible reason could I have for putting myself through all this? Maybe your people were looking for this place. This place? This place is a joke, John. What are you talking about? I crawled through your vents and I stood at your computer as the alarm beeped. And you know what happened? The timer went all the way down to zero. And then some funny red pictures flipped up in its place. They looked like hieroglyphics, but I'm no expert. And then things got real interesting. There was a loud clunking and a hum like a magnet, a big magnet. It was really very frightening. And do you know what happened next? Nothing happened, John. Nothing happened at all. Your timer just slipped back to 108. I never entered the numbers. I never pressed the button. You're lying. No, I'm done lying. Not. <laughs> As Locke leaves the room and, yeah. and just goes, not. Um, so, like, yeah, he, he buckles under the weight of uh, the, the thoroughness of Saeed Jarrah and Anna Lucia. Um, but Henry still has John Locke clock. Oh, yeah. No, you, you know? see, it's, 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 a, it's a mixed finish for Ben Linus, which still is, like, the lowest that he's finished on every, every single episode. But, yeah, it's, it's not completely out of the woods just yet. He still has Locke hooked. And I love it right from the get-go when Locke says, what's your name? And Ben basically says, like, keep calling me Henry because he's essentially saying, like, still think of me as that person who went I'm back to see you. Guy. I'm yeah, the same guy. Exactly. It's a super small gesture, but it's so much fun in the face of manipulation. And let's let's be candid. This is a clear scene of manipulation on Ben's part. He is lying oh, yeah, through yeah, every yeah, yeah. single one of his teeth that has not been beaten out of him just yet between, you know, I didn't press the button. God doesn't know what's going on with this island. This place is a joke. Like, he is just completely messing with Locke's mind at this point because he knows he's the most supple of these people to manipulate. And the best chance of him probably being able to get him out of there stands, you know, Michael doing so a couple of episodes from now. Yeah. Um, all right. So uh, we get to the end of the episode and we're back at the edge of the cliff and Hurley's getting ready to jump. 
But here comes Libby, uh, who is asking, who is Davey? Because Hurley's been calling for Dave. Jim was finding an eel or something. Yeah, Jim was fishing. He's like, Jim was fishing and uh, and saw that you were up here. He's like, aha, he doesn't speak English, so this is all in my head. <laughs> yeah, remember that time he said, have a cluckety-cluck-cluck day? <laughs> yeah, that wasn't real. That was also in my head. Uh, so Libby's like, look, you're having a panic attack. Uh, this isn't like you. Uh, and Hurley says, you don't know me. And Libby's like, actually, I do. I come from the future. Uh, several, we spend several centuries together. You're very confident and exciting and wonderful and lovable human being. And then I went back in time and I created and I back several imaginary friends for you. <laughs> yeah, I went back in time because I, it was my time to move on. And I knew that I had to go back in time to uphold the timeline. Uh, and so I'm doing it. Uh, and he's like, What? Uh, none of that is actually said, but that's the And then the she pushes him off subtext. the cliff to realize yeah. that he can't remember this. It's the obvious subtext of of what is happening. Um, but he says, like, I, I made you up. Uh, none of, like, there's no way that you would ever like me. Um, you don't know anything about me. You don't know that I'm so fat that I killed two people. You don't know about my imaginary friend. You don't know uh, that this is all inside my head. And she's insulted by this. Uh, she says, tell me about the, the guy who broke his leg on the day of the crash. Mm-hmm. Tell me about Donald. <laughs> I can't believe we got a Donald reference yeah. in this episode. Tell me about Donald. His name is Donald. I buried him, and I buried a lot of people. Don't tell me that wasn't real. Right, and that's Don't the t- thing as well. Is like Again, that theory and Dave's supposition is immediately disproven by like, oh, yes, Hurley, tell me about all the flashbacks you made up for all these people on the island. All these things in the scenes in which you weren't in. Tell me about all the things that happened there. Oh, you can't? Don't take your solipsistic worldview that this all revolves around you. Yeah, yeah. So she's not happy about it. And underneath all of this, as she's saying, like, don't tell me uh, that that wasn't real. Don't tell me that uh, you made me up. It's insulting. Um, As as she's saying all of this stuff, um, there is some music that is coming in underneath it. Uh, and I, I want to I wanna close out the sounds and close out the episode recap um, by, uh, by, by getting into the sound of, of, of Libby talking to Hurley and literally talking him off a cliff here. And just think, especially with a certain anniversary in mind, does this remind you of anything? And we'll, we'll carry it through the rest of the episode too because uh, you, will, you will hear and then visualize how the episode ended. I am real. You're real. The way I feel about you, that's real. Ready to go back? 
Do you really think I can, you know, change? Yeah. Yeah, I do. Why don't you get a little closer together? <clears throat> Say cheese. Cheese. Great. So you need uh, some water to go with that? Nope, I'm good. Okay. Well, fine. See you later, guys. Thanks for the photo op. Here's your pill, Libby. So we obviously just have to like mix all of that together. But before mm-hmm. we get to the end of it, let's get to the end of it all. <laughs> because that 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 is that is the the score to the end of of the end. That is that yeah. is the end of Lost. And the language. I'm real, you're real, anything that's happened to you, that's real. The theme of Lost, the literal music theme, but also like the emotional story theme of Lost is happening here yeah. at the end of Dave. <laughs> it's a soft finale. You know, it is the finale of Lost is being test ballooned at the end of Dave. How insane is that? That's so strange of them floating out like, yeah, this is all real, but like, well, let's just see how people respond to this. And see if they could take it. And then maybe four years down the line. Well, so maybe all that rumors about them not knowing how to land the plane until they took that, uh, that, you know, mythical break or so to really parse everything out. Maybe they already had some breadcrumbs in place here as to how they would want to figure things out. (laughs) Or maybe they just stumbled into it. You know, I just think it's it's wild. That is so Uh, strange. I totally agree. Isn't that wild? Because we're, we're, you know, watching and talking about Dave a week after the 10 year anniversary of the end where this is very fresh in our mind uh you know for the people who went back and watched it and and everything like that's the end that's the theme that's the language that is being used between christian shepherd and jack basically uh christian doesn't softly kiss jack on the lips uh the way oh maybe a different version of the end (laughs) that is terrible uh but like uh this is very similar to that um, and then we cut to obviously the the iconic ending of the episode is like crazy Libby is at Santa Rosa, and this is never explained canonically on on Lost, and that's gonna that's gonna lead us into the other section because we've got a lot on that. The great Ben behind the curtain uh, points to an interview with Digital Spy between them and Damon and Carlton, um, and they attribute the fact that they never resolved why Libby was in the hospital. To the fact that their timing for resolving it was in a script and Cynthia Watras was not available for it. Um, uh, several scripts that they went awry because Cynthia did not want to participate is the is the quote. Um, but they also stated in this interview that Libby was in the institution because of the death of her husband, David, and that although there was a more detailed plan to execute that which linked the dots in Libby's story, the overall answer proved... Uh, to be mundane, uh, mundane. Mun- yes, that mun- those mundane things that send you to a mental institution. Those you know. run-of-the-mill things. So I guess then it was that because obviously two episodes from now Libby is going to die, and it wasn't yes. an, a, like a quick enough turnaround for them to be like, "Oh, Cynthia's out. We better kill her off after you know 
this episode. Clearly, they knew Lippy was going to die two episodes from now, to the point where yeah, it, it, and, and I I think like they uh, by by dropping in something this provocative, they get you really off balance, so that when Libby gets those uh, second and third bullets. Um, it's a real shock. And so I do think Dave is very, very important in effectively setting up that literal gut shot uh, because, like, they just dropped something hugely mythological uh, in, from a character perspective with Libby and Hurley, and now they're killing her before they pay that off. Um, but we see the ways in which Lost is able to to cartwheel through that stuff when they're gonna, you know, they're gonna kill Rousseau in season four, and we didn't get the Rousseau backstory yet. Aha! Time travel—that's gonna be right. the explanation. So, so, so that was probably the intention, right? Was that after? And we see a little bit with Live Together, Die Alone, but I can imagine there was gonna be some other stuff. Should Cynthia Watros yeah. want to participate, yes. where they would showcase what happened to her? But it did seem like she just was not very keen. On, uh, on, or either she wasn't keen or just like she was working on other projects and her availability didn't line up. So as a result, we get one big question mark not to be confused with the episode three weeks from now as to the character that we have been so valiantly trying to fill in here with our own fiction. Yes, and Eric Divestein had asked us, can you fill in the blanks with some fan fiction? What happened to Libby between Santa Rosa and her meeting with Desmond? And Mike, I believe that I have prevent- presented my fan fiction. <laughs> Uh, I've presented my fan fiction that Libby comes from the future. She lives a long life with Hurley. And when she comes to Hurley in this moment, at the end of Dave being very evocative of the end itself, uh, do not mistake coincidence for fate. Why not read it that way? Lost never is going to explain it for you. If you need an explanation for Libby, there it is. It's just time traveling, Dave marrying... Libby, I'm still not sure about the day marrying aspect of it personally. <laughs> That's the part I'm the least married to that uh, personally. But the Dave marrying gets uh, Dave's body to the island uh, so that the smoke monster can wield it against. Uh, I don't know if we need that part. Like I just think maybe I just appreciate Libby as too much of a character for her to be like. Really, she's knocking boots. She's knocking slippers with Dave. No, it it was uh, it was the paper marriage. Paper marriage. What, does he need a green card? Yeah, a green card to get to the island. <laughs> All right, it's 90 Day Fiance, lost edition. Look, I'll get, I'll, you know, I'm fine to lose the yeah, Dave we're, marrying Yeah, we're workshopping your, your ending here. I would say let's scrap the Dave marrying thing, and yeah. I'm okay with it. Yeah, uh, but I, I think it works. Why not? I think time travel really does just answer a lot of the questions uh, that are left hanging by Lost. Look, I cannot knock your ending while simultaneously saying that I liked my version of Michael naming his son after Walt Disney. <laughs> I was just thinking that. <laughs> you have found your version of that, and I am celebrating the heck out of it, sir. I think mine is a little more plausible than Walt Disney. Oh, okay. All right. I well, do. let's not throw coconuts here. No, I'm going to throw those coconuts, Mike. Time travel is part of Lost. Hurley is the new man in charge at the end of Lost. Uh, why wouldn't he uh, be able to, to go off island and meet a Libby who is from that time? And then she uh, goes back in time knowing that like she has to in order to continue the time stream and keep everything on track so that their beautiful life together occurs. Um, 
At least that's all ingredients that are on the show. What does Walt Disney have to do with Lost other than ABC? Other than ABC? This is the network that runs Lost. (laughs) Speaking of ABC, uh, do you know that ABC actually uh, almost uh, got rid of Dave altogether? (laughs) This is interesting. (laughs) Uh, This is uh, from an interview between uh, Jeff Jensen and uh, Damon Lindelof and Stephen King actually being in the mix of that conversation as well. Uh, 2006 article on EW. Um, Jeff Jensen asked, could ABC veto a script of Lost? And Damon said, absolutely. We wrote a script last year called Dave. It plays out a version of the idea that all of this is happening in Hurley's head. The original draft was a great cause of concern. ABC felt it was advancing an idea that offered an explanation for the entire show. So while it's uh, unclear exactly what changes were made, the end result reduced the concern that people would leave the episode believing the answer to the show was it's all in Hurley's head. Wow. So what was the... I mean, I guess the initial draft then did not have literally Libby telling Hurley, I'm real, you're real, everything is real. Maybe that's what the network recommended is like you have to spell it out word for word and then maybe use those exact same words like four years down the line. Yeah, and then I think that they also had to cut out because it went a little too far, which is like, and I'm from the future and we're married in the future. Yeah, exactly. And I married they, Dave. They said, you know what? I know you were very blatant island. with the I'm real, you're real, but let's really, let's really keep it very subtle with her being in the mental institution. Like, I think everyone will assume she's a time-traveling Dave marrying Libby. All right, let's talk a little bit more about Dave. This is from the great Jesse Camacho, uh, who, who loves the episode. Uh, and Jesse writes in about why. Jesse says, Dave is, in my opinion, a super underrated episode of Lost. My nostalgia toward it is definitely due to how much I relate to Hurley. Mm. I'm someone who's struggled with weight issues my whole life, primarily hoarding junk food and binging it behind closed doors. Preach, Jesse. I fully freaking hear that. Um, <laughs> Quite <getting> literally. Caught- <laughs> Yeah, getting caught binging red-handed by the person I'm in love with was slash is honestly one of my worst fears. Jesse, I can tell you, it's awkward. It's awkward. It's awkward. You drop a cookie in the trash. As you a drop a cookie it. in the trash, and like I immediately went and like hugged her. I said, "I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry." She's like, "What are you doing?" <laughs> Imagine walking in, seeing someone awful. hurriedly drop a cookie into the tr- something into the trash, and then immediately run awful. up and hug you and say, "I'm so sorry." It was awful. It was awful. I felt like a three-year-old. It was terrible. It was mortifying. Oh my god. Anyway, Jesse continues. I think three-year-old by the way have a much bigger sense of a much lesser sense of guilt than you do (laughs) i think that might be true jesse continues making the character of dave a living breathing representation of hurley's worst tendencies and cravings really spoke to me i also love the idea of the monster using these weaknesses and issues against hurley only for him to finally start to overcome them in the end with the help of uh of libby i've always uh felt these issues were never represented well on television i don't even feel they are always represented well on lost but finding a way to present it in a sort of cat and mouse mind game between Hurley and potentially the smoke monster is super creative, especially since Hurley eventually becomes the protector of the island. Hats off to the Lost writing staff for such a cool spin on an underrated issue. Um, so that's from uh, the great Jesse Camacho, who, again, if you've not watched Jesse's work on Lock and Key on Netflix, go do that. Uh, I owe Jesse a podcast. Jesse and I are going to get together to talk about Lock and Key at some point in the not-too-distant future, so keep an ear out for that, and I'm sure we'll nerd out about Lost as well. Lock that in and key Lock that, that in. in. Yeah, uh, but great take from Jesse. Um, Daniel Brennan uh, writes in, if the writers knew they were about to kill Libby, why did they reveal that Libby is in uh, Santa Rosa with Hurley? I think it's that thing, right? Like, I think, like... It really gets you way off balance yeah. for when they when they when they do uh, kill Libby, right? Because um, Anna Lucia gets her send off episode. Libby never did, and I mm. think that maybe she wasn't going to get a send off episode later on. But they definitely, in a perfect world, were intending to bring up her story later on. This is one of those cases where 
they had a, a question that they wanted answered, but just due to not necessarily uh, meeting in the middle with the actor, it ended up being an unanswered question for the entirety of Lost. Ben Martell has something provocative. If Dave is the smoke monster, does that mean he left behind a little bit of smoke uh, in the form of the slipper for Hurley to carry around with him? Yeah, I mean, uh, I think that that makes sense. Maybe that's sort of like a stuffed animal as well. Of like, let me comfort you <laughs> by leaving you at my pinky toe. Weird. Way weird. Mega weird. Uh, but that works. I kind of like it. Well, I think uh, I think that makes sense, though, when we talk about, like, is the smoke monster the tree frog? Is the smoke monster a horse? Like, you don't think he's completely transforming himself, right? Like, I think he's just breaking off little pieces of himself. Yeah, little pieces of monster. You, got, you, you, have the, you are an amorphous blob. You have the ability to be everywhere at once if you want to. Why not he's take advantage of that? He's the amorphous blob. He's the amorphous blob. Um, other people mad about the food waste. Benji Holder, why does Early have to change by wasting all the food? Lindy Steiner, Sawyer just throws his cookie away after it breaks what a monster somehow this is way worse than what hurley did and i do agree with that yeah actually. i do agree with that because i think yeah. the hurleys was therapeutic right there's a reason behind yeah. it you are like this is a manifestation of your addiction and you are destroying it and therefore it is wholly unreasonable and wasteful <laughs> there's no emotional component to it at all yeah do you think maybe he got too big for his britches because like he's used to having an, an ample supply of everything yeah so even when up when food comes in he's like ah, i can waste this stuff i'm fine yeah all right some stuff on ben uh john kraus this episode is i think one of the few times that ben is really on the ropes he gets caught in too many lies i think he might actually be scared it's a rare moment um yeah i think that he knows that he's very likely about to be shot in the face by Saeed in that moment. I do think... So what do you make of the uh, I'm not a bad person line? Do you think that's like actual Ben line? Or do you think that's like Ben line is still trying to try a tactic to Sawyer? Because I could see that being Ben line is legitimately speaking the truth. That he thinks he's not a bad person? Or that he thinks he's at least has is like has a rationale behind it. You know, maybe he feels like bad people are not bad people if they have a, an external motivation as to why they're doing it. Yeah, I think that he, you know, tries to carry himself as though there's a method to his madness. Right. Um, and I think the growth on Ben eventually is going to be that uh, he realizes that um, uh, the Machiavellian stuff, it's too far. Um, and, like, the, some of the things that he's done are just unforgivable. Well, yeah, otherwise, like, how do you get up in the morning? You know, yeah. like, everyone is, I wouldn't say uh, he's the hero of his own narrative, but I yeah. think for him it's sort of like the end justifies the means of I'll do what I need to in order for this outcome to happen. So I think that it makes sense as to why he would not necessarily call himself a good person, but he would yeah. say, I'm not a bad person. Yeah. I'm not a bad person. I committed genocide, but there was a really good reason for it. Exactly. Exactly. I'm not a bad person, but I kidnapped a terrified French teenager's newly born child uh, at gunpoint and raised her completely as my own and never brought the teenage, uh, the poor French teenager into the fold uh, to rehabilitate her and, and keep her and the child together. I'm not a bad person, but next season I am going to torture the boyfriend of my adopted daughter uh, for no particularly good reason. Other than I don't like him very much. I'm not a bad person, but I will, out of spite, send the person who <laughs> is currently shacked up with the person I have a crush on essentially to their death. Yeah. I'm not a bad person, but I will tell that person that I have a crush on that you're mine, which I, is not an okay thing to do. I'm not a bad person, but I will prevent someone from killing themselves only to kill them myself. 
Yeah, to strangle him myself. Uh, so he's not a bad guy. He's just do- he's done some bad things. He's misunderstood. He's just misunderstood. <laughs> misunderstood. Uh, Dallin Servo says, why is Ben telling John that the hatch doesn't do anything? Doesn't Ben know the importance of pushing the buttons, or is he underestimating what damage it could do by not pushing the button? I don't know. I really do feel like he's just manipulating Locke at this moment. I don't think he's manipulating him to not push the button. Like I feel like he feels that Locke's you know, view on the button is tunnel vision, uh, and he thinks that, you know, maybe the, the the survivors are organized enough that somebody's going to be pushing that button no matter what. I, I do not think he necessarily thinks he's playing with fire in particular, but saying, oh, you shouldn't be pressing that button and possibly causing this island to explode. Yeah, I think uh, maybe he doesn't think the island will explode. Um, I don't know. Well, I mean, again, we, we talked about how much how much does he know about the incident, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So worth worth wondering. Um some odds and ends. Uh, speaking of post-show recaps, polls, uh, we did run one last week, Mike, about who gets the credit for uh, Ben falling from the pantry. Uh, did he legitimately fall and get knocked out while climbing the pantry shelves? Or did Ben knock himself out on purpose to mess with Locke? Uh, and uh, the, the voters sided with me on this one, Mike. I mean... Uh, shenanigans. They voted shenanigans, 71%. Uh, 71.4% to your, uh, uh, your argument that it was a legitimate fall, 28.6%. I mean, look, I knew I was going to get outvoted here. It was a basically me versus you thing, in which case you get the votes any day of the week. So I'm just happy. Is that I got- how it works? Oh, that's exciting. I mean, listen, you know, you know it. I know it. If it's Josh versus Mike, they're voting Josh every single day. So oh I'm just happy God. I got 28.6% of the vote. So I can just like toss out like a really, really awful take. Uh, and win the vote just by virtue of being me versus you? Yeah, I mean, uh, let's rewind like an hour and a half into this podcast. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Uh, that's fun. That works. Uh, Dallin Servo says, uh, while Hurley only says the word dude three times, Dave says it 17 times. And now, Mike, this complicates matters, doesn't it? Um, because we've got Dallin Servo marking the dude counter, mm-hmm. uh, the throw the duty counter out the window, though, because uh, Dave is now in the mix. And do we add those 17 Dave dudes mm-hmm. to the dude counter? Because Dave might be Hurley? I don't think so. I think that Dave... That's why on Down the Hatch, Dave has to canonically be the smoke monster. Yeah. And I also think that, look, he is a separate actor playing i know that's like it's part of hurley but it still does feel like a distinct enough of a separate character to the point where spoiler alert uh i think you know when we get to the mvp lvp points if we're docking points from dave we're not docking points from hurley uh so i think from that capacity we should separate the dave dudes from the hurley dudes um all right well before we get into the mvp lvp of it all um how about uh any anything to say from jim fells's music analysis this week so you brought up obviously the big elephant in the room uh which is the end of it all a couple of other fun things a lot of callbacks to everybody hates hugo obviously uh, i think uh when hurley reveals libby his stash uh that we we hear that music come out then i believe when it comes up uh when he is talking with libby at the very end that i think comes about when he shows the hatch to rose uh, other fun thing, there's like a, a motif called uh-oh that's introduced because Hurley does literally say uh-oh when he finds Dave's slipper. The only other time we hear it is uh, in the flash forward when Big Mike, who we have not seen in quite some time, confronts Hurley. And then there's also a scene uh, where Jack confronts Faraday about whether or not he was lying to them. And completely separate from the Jim Fell stuff, but I learned apparently this is 
one of the only one of two episodes in the entire show to end with a flashback instead of a regular scene or a flash forward. Oh, interesting. The other one being the aforementioned Abaterno. Wow. These episodes, they are so connected. Yeah, I, I guess so. Who would have yeah. thought this is like the daddy of Abaterno? Yeah, Dave and Abaterno are related. Uh, who knew? Who knew? Unapu. Um, all right. Uh, let's get to uh, the, the 23 stars. Uh, let's get into the 23 points, rather. MVPs and LVPs. They're all stars here. They're all stars to me, except the LVPs. They're the opposite. I don't know what the opposite of a star is. Uh, um, a destroyed star. A black hole. I, I, I quit uh, astronomy. so That's true. I you could so have known. I, I, I but then you wouldn't be podcasting know. about law, That's so right. it really is That's a trade-off. Right. Good trade. Good trade. Uh, three MVP points from Mike. Three LVP points from me. Two MVP points from me. Two, MV, uh, two LVP points from Mike. Um, Mike, launch us off. I'm going to give two out of my three to Libby. and maybe Yo, double tap. And well, maybe it's because, admittedly, we're not going to see too, too much of her. So, like, I want to acknowledge the character as much as possible. Before- so this is the spot to give her the props for the time travel. Yeah, not only for the time travel, for her being able to literally talk Hurley off the cliff, for her to mm-hmm. serve as, like, that shoulder to cry on, and for her to be able to find this relationship that she wants as well. Yeah. So I think this is Libby's... By default, this is sort of going to be Libby's strongest episode, so I think she deserves the kudos and not the chocolate bar that Hurley kept hitting with his stash. Um, I I don't think that this is an exceptional episode for Hurley, the character, necessarily right. for me. Um, but I think Jorge Garcia is really, really great, as always. It is a Hurley episode, um, and he kicks the ever-loving snot out of Sawyer in an epic Hulk out. Uh, so I'm going to give a point to, to Hurley here. I'm going to give him an MVP spot. Right, I, I agree. It's not exactly like a, the best look for the character considering he nearly does get tricked into killing himself. But I feel like what he's been able to do, and I do feel like this is a bit of a stepping stone into who he ends up becoming, at least from like him taking this leap of faith, proverbially speaking, with Libby and how her death is going to affect him as a character. And like I said before, Jorge Garcia, particularly in some of these uh, more emotional scenes just really brings it and reminds you why like people were rooting for Hurley to have a love interest is because this character is just so damn root worthy. Uh, so two for Libby from you, one from for me for Hurley. Um, I'll give my my second and final MVP point this week to Anna Lucia, a uh, great prison guard at this moment in time, at least uh, she will break her her own rules and that will be her undoing. Um, but like she also you know, saves Ben's life and maybe in the long haul, that's a bad call. But for our enjoyment mm-hmm. of Lost, I'm grateful to her. He makes good TV. And I'm going to give the yes. other and my MVP point to uh, her partner in crime here, or I guess he had the top. He, he had the right instinct in trying to. Yeah, I'm going to give it to Saeed. I mean, listen, he does. He's one of the only people to like catch Ben in that lie both in the end of last episode and in this one with the $20 bill, like Detective Saeed is still firing on all cylinders here, and he fired another type of cylinder in that he was going to actually kill Ben and do the right thing were it not for Anna Lucia. So I think he deserved, his point streak continues here in season two. All right, I've got three LVP points, and I'm giving them all to Dave. <laughs> so now here's the thing. It's Dave. It's not the monster. Okay, so yeah, we are because I think this is also I'm, it's an amalgamation of flashback Dave and on island Dave. Yeah, this is all just to the Daviness of Dave. Yeah, the concept of Dave. I, I I just I don't care for it. If we're assigning points to like the shrewdness of the monster, good shot, nice try. Um, 
But man, I just don't love that you had to bring Dave into this. Uh, so I'm gonna I'm gonna give a big fat negative three to Dave. And look, I'm very tempted to pile on there with you and like drive him down to the Anthony Coopers uh, and you know the the Jasons of it all. But I do feel like there are a couple of characters that might deserve a bit of uh, of scrutiny in this episode. I'm going to give one to Sawyer. I know the arguments that you made, uh, but I do feel like he was he was an ass. I would still sign off on it because of the way he ma- oh, yeah. mishandled the cookie. I mean, if anything, like the hill we're both gonna, the hill we're both going to die on here is the blatant yeah. misuse of Dharma brain sandwich cookies. Awful. Just a, a monstrous waste. And like I said, you know, this is not going to be an outright negative uh, outcome for Ben in this episode, but I'm still going to dock him a point because this is the most like out in the open he has been the entire time and i do want to dock him a bit slow his roll a little yeah, yeah for that to be like you know we gave him a point in each of the episodes he's appeared in so far but this was not a great look for him this episode and so i want to sort of uh give him those adjustments because again i want to take advantage of all the ben screen time we get this season because it is for a sure. winnowing down for sure um uh updates on all of that um mr echo is still the season two leader but saeed is coming up on him yeah. uh saeed's got 10 uh echo's got 12 mvp points and saeed's got 10 uh and that means as the as the career leader saeed is really out in front right now with 19 mvp points uh from the pilot through now wow. uh with mr echo in second place at 12 points tied with kate uh, from the pilot through now. So that's, you know, really impressive for Mr. Echo, but really impressive for Mr. Jira. Uh, in the top three right now here in season two, I, I think you wouldn't be necessarily shocked about Echo at the top. Certainly that's not a surprise. I think Saeed in second place with such a close lead uh, or such a close uh, point gap between him and Echo is maybe surprising. Um, but Ana Lucia is still in third. Wow. Ana Lucia is in third Bronze medalist points. Ana Lucia. You know? Come through. Uh, coming out, coming out with that with that bronze medal. I gotta say, I'm I'm loving Anna Lucia on the rewatch. I, this has been this has been great for her. Yeah. I've been having a blast. She's an interesting character, I think, and I'm I'm very excited. You know, I think she's gonna. I don't even. I don't know if she's gonna be in next episode. Oh no, she's gonna she's gonna have a, a little bit of an appearance here. Uh, but yeah. obviously, we're gonna get to two for the road, which is obviously her other big episode. But I do feel like we have. Uh, scurried away from, I think, the more irascible Anna Lucia that we saw in the first few episodes. She's gonna, as you said, make a mistake in a couple of episodes, but I feel like she's uh, she's on a streak right now of doing like some pretty logical, practical, character-driven things, and I'm happy about it. Okay, so let's get to the 4.2 stars. Uh, I give my score, you give your score, audience average as well. Um, and I landed at a 3.2 for Dave which was, I think, a little higher than I expected I would be on Dave. Mm-hmm. But I, I, think, I think that I admire Dave as an episode more than I admire the other episodes that I've given a 3.2 to this season. So every, is, everybody hates Hugo and the whole tooth? The whole tooth, everybody hates Hugo and what Kate did. I mm. gave 3.2s. Uh, and so I'm giving Dave a 3.2 as well because while I admire it more... And I think it swings harder. Um, Dave really, really weighs it down for me as a character. Uh, like, I think that this is something that I would probably like give like a 3.5, 3.6 to maybe if 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 there is like a, a character that is like more pleasant to watch. But mm-hmm. it's just like so unpalatable for me. Uh, and I really thought maybe that would change on the rewatch. Alas, it remains what it has always been for me. So I'm giving it a 3.2. Uh, and I, I think that that is about as fair as I can be for Dave. 
So I'm going to go a little bit lower. And look, let me just say, as I, as I mentioned throughout our sort of recap here, that there are things I appreciate about this episode. As someone who has been trying to change themselves as a person, uh, no matter how scary that may be, I appreciate them, much as Jesse sort of talked about in his email, like, going after those themes. That's what I really enjoy about Hurley episodes so far, is that totally. it really is tackling, like, changing yourself as a person, uh, whereas maybe some of these other episodes focus on, like, you know, who you always have been as a person or the things that shape you as a person. And so I do appreciate that. And I think that in retrospect, you know, looking at the Dave on Island stuff is much more palatable. But at the same time, I have to say, like, that's not the way the episode was originally intended. You know, like, I can't exactly give too much kudos to an episode that sort of accidentally gained some more relevance from it. Did it make the episode more enjoyable to watch? I think so, but almost incidentally so. I still think that I, I wish that this was an episode that had more Hatch stuff in it. I'm stunned that the episode after the big Henry Gale reveal, we get two scenes in mm-hmm. the Hatch, and they're both great <laughs> scenes, arguably some of the best scenes in the episode, but only two scenes. It just feels like a, a bit, uh, just a, a weird sort of thing in terms of momentum. And I get that they were trying to fill out the, this season, and I'll certainly sort of uh, maybe copy and paste these comments next week when we get to SOS yeah, maybe. as well. Yeah. But it just it did not necessarily land with me in terms of coming off this dynamite episode. So I ultimately landed at a 2.8. Uh, I, okay. I put Abandoned at a 2.9, and I actually like Abandoned a little bit more. I feel like the On Island stuff, uh, there was a lot of great, interesting stuff, particularly when it came to the tailies finally converging. The ending was a powerhouse. And the Shannon stuff, it's sort of like the Hurley stuff here where, like, it's a bit unpalatable, but it does inform the character a bit. So it does sort of, uh, you know, I think taste make the taste a little bit sweeter. So yeah, it ends up scoring as my my third least favorite episode of the season. But again, it's a, an okay score in a two point eight. I've scored lower season one episodes yeah, than sure. that. So like, I, yeah. there's still things I enjoyed about Dave. Yeah, and it's not as as low as the lows of Fire Plus Water or Adrift, where you're in the ones on both of those. Exactly. Um, so Dave is a bottom four episode of the season anyway, because uh, I'm a 3.2, you're a 2.8. Audience is a 3.4. Yeah, we really on, ran on the Dave. gamut on this one. We've seen uh, some people, you know, are sort of in the twos with me. Are the famous Ben behind the curtain gives it a 2.5 even. Some people going as high as like a 4.1. I saw high threes as well. So I think Jesse's email is actually a great microcosm of that. Like mm-hmm. a lot of these lost episodes... Uh, especially the ones that are much more character-based, it's really going to depend on, like, if you see yourself in the characters, if you see yourself in what happens with these characters on the island. And so I can understand why people uh, have a lot of sympathy and heart associated with this episode. That episode was not it for me, but I respect the opinions of those who do have that opinion. For sure. Absolutely agreed. Um, With that 3.2, the 2.8, and the 3.4, that gives Dave a 3.18 uh, which is beneath what Kate did, but above abandoned. So Dave is uh, in 15th here uh, through 18 episodes of season two, just above abandoned adrift and fire plus water. Um, so next week, I think we'll get another uh, entrant into that cluster would be my bet. Um, and that's going to be SOS. It's the Rosen Bernard episode. And, um, I'm very curious to know how we'll feel about it. Like, are we going to be able to like really just appreciate like, kind of like a little bit of a break yeah you know and just like sort of like enjoy some time with two characters that we will not spend nearly this much time with ever again uh we'll get them in in drips and drabs and they'll be like supporting players but like 
we're gonna get the Rose and Bernard episode, the only one next week. Yeah, I mean, this, um, this, I'm, I got to be honest, I'm looking forward to it. I'm very intrigued to revisit it because I remember not really liking this episode at the time. Because especially again, given the momentum of the Henry Gale stuff, because it does really feel like we talked about this with a couple episodes. This really does feel like a season one episode where like we're mm-hmm. getting flashbacks into characters for the first time. Bernard's billing an SOS signal, so we're going back to this whole idea of being rescued, uh, which maybe is a bit of a deviation from what we've been doing in season two. And I think that some of our callbacks to season one have been, uh, you know, they've done okay. So I'll be intrigued to see how this happens. And especially this sort of serving as, you know, we had the big moments in lockdown. We're going to have the big moments in Two for the Road. Dave and SOS are sort of like bridges in between. So I guess we'll sort of see whether it's a one-two punch or whether it, it serves as like a an okay episode bridging into all the climactic stuff that's going to happen. But I'm very excited because, I, you know, Rose and Bernard, I know this was a very highly anticipated episode from a lot of fans' perspective because they wanted to know who the hell are Rose and Bernard, how did they get there, and it's going to tie a bit more into that island mythos. You know, we find out a bit more about the island's healing powers, its restorative powers, and not just from Locke's legs and Jin's sperm. <laughs> I gotta be honest. I'm just, I'm just really excited to hang out with Rose and Bernard. Yeah, uh, I, I think it'll be fun. I think it'll be fun. And also, like some cute Jack and Kate stuff. I think. Yeah, this is when they get caught in the net. They're gonna get caught in the net. I'm looking forward to that. And the return of Michael. So, uh, uh, although Michael has been, he's with been, us he's all been along. All, all around that the entire time. <laughs> Michael never really leaves the show when you think about it. Uh, the island is Michael. Michael is the island. Michael is you, Michael Bloom. Mm-hmm. Great stuff this week. This was really, really, really fun. Thank you. You as well. I think we got into some really crazy stuff. Look, when we open the Pandora's box that is Libby, it invites <laughs> the invitation to just go completely wild. I'll be intrigued. It, it's much like an Oreo cookie, right? Exactly. Like, how do you how do you attack it? Do you do, do you twist? it off do you just pop the whole thing whatever you There's do various approaches to living I hope, just enjoy i it. hope nobody threw this podcast away because this was immensely <laughs> delicious to us no matter how much you may crack yeah. that cookie so i'm excited to look every episode of lost was interesting this was certainly an interesting one to, to dissect here <laughs> yeah, so sure. i'm excited to get to sos and i'm excited to get into especially this tail part taily part of season two josh we only have what like five episodes left of season two to talk about we're we're down the wire buddy uh we're getting real close to the end of the line here on season two uh and that's exciting stuff because uh that means there's only one season left in the first book of lost as i refer to the first three seasons of the show um so we're fast approaching some really wild stuff we're fast approaching the return of desmond and once he's here he's really here um so really 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 great stuff right now Um, uh, and looking forward to the pit stop with Rose and Bernard. So that's going to drop in your feed June 5th. Oh, my God. June is busting out all over. I know. I don't like it. I don't like it at all. Uh, time is both really slow and really fast right yeah, now. Yeah, I, I remember back in December of 2019 when we were, like, piling in all those season one enders in anticipation uh-huh. for the holidays. And, like, I know. half a year later, we are now coming around the bend on season two. Yep, here we are. So around the bend, still doing this weekly. That podcast drop in June 5th. Get your feedback in by the morning of June 3rd. Uh, listen to us on the Storm podcast if you have not done so already. That's just a great podcast and a great piece of uh, just a really great piece of audio work from from uh, the whole team over there. And, and um, I'll say again, so it's not available on the feed. I believe it's just available on the Storm Patreon page, but yeah. it's completely available to everybody. You don't need to be a patron to to listen to it. But you should be. You should go sign up for the Storm Patreon. Uh, it seems like they've got really, really fun things. Um, maybe, uh, you know, 
peruse Patreon for a little while. Might be some interesting stuff that is relevant to our interests as well. Coming your way in the in the near future. It's just a little bit of a tease. Uh, so so get uh, get excited about some uh, some crazy shenanigans happening in our neck of the woods as well uh, for our coverage of Lost here on Down the Hatch. Uh, down the hatch at postshowrecaps.com. That's the way to send your feedback in at postshowrecaps, at Rand Howard, at a Mike Bloom type. Um, Mike, uh, we've just crossed the barrier of 10 years since Lost has been off the air as we are approaching 20 years since another island drama of sorts <laughs> has been on the air. Uh, the 20-year the anniversary of the Survivor Series premiere, and you've just been writing up a storm, not a podcast, uh, over at Parade um, with your behind-the-scenes glimpses at the production of Survivor. That's at parade.com slash tag slash survivor um just really amazing stuff mike i was i'm so excited that that interview series is out there in the wild having watched you like perform some of that stuff yeah out there on location like i'm i'm really glad i I hope that you're happy with how it's being received i'm very happy uh and thank you for the kind words i mean yeah this is something that's been percolating as josh said for a little bit over a year so i mean we talk about a lot of stuff here behind the scenes on lost on down the hatch uh but what some people might not know about shows like that or like a show like Survivor is just how much stuff goes on behind the scenes, especially a show like Survivor, which is essentially an active set for not even just the 39 days where it's filming, but time before and time after. So in honor of the 20th anniversary of the show that we both love and are so invested in a manner of speaking, uh, I was able to interview people from essentially all over corners of the Survivor crew and sort of get their stories as to how they came onto the show, what they do for the show, how they sort of incorporate into the result that we see on screen. And as a result, it's a series of pieces that I like to call Survivor at 20. So as Josh said, go to parade.com slash tag slash Survivor. At the time that this is coming out, I should have a full... Coming out. Yeah, exactly. I should have four pieces released. I have two coming up after. Uh, One is a big piece on uh, what I call the men behind the curtain in honor of Lost a bit. Uh, Big interviews with Jeff Probst and Matt Van Wagner, who are the two big creative heads of the show. And Jeff is obviously the host. And I finished things off with a really fun and sentimental piece about how uh, the crew at Lo- uh, at Lost at Survivor, and I'm assuming this happened on Lost as well. Uh, the family sense, Josh, at going on set, you can definitely speak towards the, com- oh, the yeah, community sure. that grows from this crew of hundreds and how much that informs their work. It's palpable from the moment you step onto that set, and I I want to sort of express that as well as get some stories from people about their coolest moments on set from over the years. So if you are a Survivor fan and you want to get a glimpse as to what happens behind the cameras. I guarantee it is a lot. So check it out, parade.com slash tag slash survivor. And again, I'm, I'm schlepping at all that content at a Mike Bloom type as well. And, and Josh and I also Amazing. might be doing some uh, separate survivor anniversary stuff as well in, in honor of the upcoming 20th anniversary. Well, I've got that return of the wiggle room with Rob Sesternino coming up. Uh, get your wand offs in uh, for the Survivor Borneo edition <laughs> of the wand off. Uh, you know, we're going to be talking about the premiere of Survivor Borneo, but whatever you got to do. Uh, if you just want to talk about Borneo generally, get creative, get weird. Uh, submit that to wiggle room at Rob has a website. Uh, that will be the way that I am marking the uh, the Survivor anniversary, which I'm 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 happy about. Yeah. You know, obviously up up ups and downs, but I'm I'm choosing to remember the ups uh, more than the downs. Uh, so I'm also choosing to to remember and uh, actively continue 
the down's the hatch uh, here <laughs> on Post to Recast. <laughs> is, that the, is that the plural form of our podcast? The down's yeah, the hatch? The down's, the down's the hatch. We hope you've been enjoying the down's the hatch uh, that we've had for you. The monstrous amount of down the hatch in the past little while. We'll be back very soon with SOS, uh, which is an appropriate thing to say right now <laughs> as I'm garbling my way through the end of this podcast. Save me! All right. We'll be back next week. Bye, everybody.